Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I didn't even realize how screwed up this was at the time. But looking back, I feel kind of lucky. I haven't really had many encounters like this in my life. I'm a chubby male, so creepers tend to leave me alone. When I was 19, I lived in Kentucky, pretty far away from my northern Michigan hometown. It was this little town called Pikeville, where there was very little crime. I actually kind of missed it and want to go back, but I digress. My family came down to visit me for my birthday that year, and we agreed to meet up at the Hardys in town that morning after they got into town. I got there a lot earlier than them, me being the type to show up 15 minutes early, and them being the types who show up way late. As I was standing outside waiting, this guy walks up to me. If you've ever lived in a place like this, you know everyone is super friendly, so it didn't strike me as odd when he started talking to me. During our conversation, all kinds of alarm bells should have been going off. Like, after he found out I went to the college, he said he saw me at a party. This is impossible as I've never once went to a party. When he found out I'm a gamer nerd, he started about playing D&D all the time. He kept taking sips out of some sort of alcohol bottle. Mind you, it's like 10am at this point, and kept offering me some. There were a few other things like this. He started talking about how he lost all of his friends because he got into drugs, and I felt a little bad for him. He asked if I wanted to walk around for a bit, and since I knew my family wouldn't be there for a little while, I went. The guy had been talking about how he lost all of his friends due to drugs, and I felt bad for the guy. That coupled with the fact that I hadn't had any encounters like this and the lack of crime kind of disarmed that warning part of my brain. We walked and talked for a little while, maybe 10 minutes, before I realized we were in a shady looking part of town. I had never even realized there were shady parts of the small town, but here we were. We stopped in front of a house that looked long abandoned with this dark, narrow, sketchy alley next to it. He starts talking about how he knows the two girls that live here and how they like to party and whatnot. He tells me about how DTF they are and asks if I want to meet them. It was at this point that my common sense finally kicks in. I'm in a terrible part of town with a sketchy guy I don't know who was just talking about doing hard drugs and no one knows I'm here. And now he wants me to go into an obviously abandoned house under the guise of meeting some ladies. I obviously declined his offer and immediately said I needed to get back as my family was probably waiting. He seemed a little upset about this and then asked if I could help him move a pool table into his van, which was conveniently parked down the alley. I declined this as well. This is when he began to reach into his jacket pocket. Since those bells started going off, I realized just how much this guy looked like he might stab me, and this terrified me. At this moment, my stepmom did the only kind of thing she ever did for me. She called to see where I was. I took this as an opportunity to hastily exit, and the creep followed me for three more blocks. I don't know what exactly this guy wanted, but it was probably just to rob me. Still, that area has a good amount of disappearances and is one of the worst areas in the country for human trafficking, I later found out. I don't know what would have happened had I agreed to help, but I can't help but think of that one scene from Silence of the Lambs 
where Bill lures a victim into his van. I hope he got the help he needed and is doing better, but I also hope just as much that I never have the misfortune of running into him again. Tonight I was at work, I clean a shopping mall, and a very polite goth teen, green hair, black clothes, approached me asking about a potential job. I gave him information on a job center in town and went on my way. About an hour later I'm walking back a hallway towards the bathrooms that I have to check every hour. The same kid passes me, ducking down a service corridor. People use those all the time here so I don't think anything of it, until a very large pack about 10 to 12 of redneck teens comes back the hall together. One boy walks into and searches our men's room. A girl sticks her head into the corridor and says, No one's there, but it goes all the way through to another door. They are actively hunting the green-haired boy. I walk past the group thinking to get out of earshot and radio security to deal with it. Rounding a corner, the direction they had come from, I see that the pack had shut the fire doors, effectively closing off the public hallway from sight. I call security and they arrive at the group of teens, who claim that the goth boy flashed a gun. Cops are called, they find and frisk the goth kid, to find that he has no weapons other than pepper spray. The group of stalkers is sent home for the day and the boy stays for a few more hours. Nothing came of it, but based on the pack's actions, secluding the hallway and organized hunting, I wonder if we wouldn't have been calling in a body if they'd found that goth teen. This takes place around 10 years ago. I was around age 16. My family owns a business located in a little rural town. Not much happens around here and it is a fairly quiet and safe place. I still live in the town and I often leave my house unlocked during the day and leave our keys in our vehicles. The business sat back off the main road pretty far and was pretty secluded and surrounded by trees. Honestly, I always felt a little creeped out being there after dark by myself to begin with. Our office was a modular office trailer, the kind they often rent out to construction sites. When you went into the main door, to the left was a large open room where the office was, Straight ahead was the bathroom and to the right there was a storage room. One late evening my mom said she had forgotten something in the office and was going to go get it. I volunteered to go grab it for her. Like I said, the place at night always gave me a weird feeling so I didn't want her going alone. I drive down to the office and pull into our well-lit parking lot. It was a cool, clear evening with a moderate breeze. I get out my key, unlock the large deadbolt and open the heavy door. I flipped on the lights and made a sharp left into the main part of the office. I now had my back to the only exit and to the storage room. I started looking through her desk for the items she needed. I heard a creaking noise coming from behind me. I instantly froze in fear. My combination of being jumpy and the place already giving me the creeps sent my mind into overdrive. I tried to rationalize and set my mind at ease. After all, it was windy out and there were tree limbs that could reach the building on that side. I finally gained the courage to turn around and peer into the room. The light from the office flooded into the room and I could see to the black wall, and as far as I could tell, nothing was there. I chalked it up as the wind, found what I needed and slowly approached the door, my eyes never leaving that doorway to the storage room. Part of me wanted to look what made the noise, but my instinct was screaming to just let it go. I listened to my instinct, 
walked out of the door backwards with my eyes never breaking contact with the room. I just had such a bad feeling about it, I reached in through the door, flipped off the lights and locked the deadbolt, got in my car and went home. I never bothered telling anyone about it that night, figuring it was just my imagination getting the best of me. The next day we found the window for the storage room was broke out and we had actually been robbed. To this day I truly wonder if whoever was robbing us was hiding in that room while I was there and what would have happened if I would have investigated. Worse yet, what would have happened if my mother would have gone there alone? June 14th, 2018 This has sort of been an ongoing thing for about a month, but only really escalated to creepy territory tonight. I was almost hesitant to post this here because I truly care about the villain of the story, but it's recently become too much for me to hold in and keep to myself. I'm a dietary aide at a local assisted living facility. If you're not familiar with those, they're sort of the step before nursing homes. Our residents are healthy enough to live relatively independently, and we only assist them in their daily routine. The one that I work at really feels like the opposite of a nursing home. Rather than being cold and clinical, it's warm and almost feels like a lavish hotel. My job as a dietary aide is to assist in preparing food, serving food to the residents, cleaning the kitchen and dining room, etc. Think of it as like being a waiter for the same group of people every day. To give you a little background, I'm a 17-year-old girl who just graduated high school and is pursuing an associate's degree in pre-med at a local college before moving away to university. I've been working at this facility for around a year now and have grown to really know pretty much all of my residents. One of these residents is Mary, who is mostly deaf and who lives there with her three sisters. When I first started working there, Mary and I didn't really talk much or anything beyond me bringing her drinks and taking her order. I could hardly understand anything she said anyway. However, I knew that she was lonely due to the communication barrier between her and others so I attempted to reach out to her a little bit. I would smile and wave at her, ask her how her day was, etc. It wasn't anything I didn't do for my other residents but it excited her immensely. Mary is a very touchy woman and by that I mean she likes to touch those she's talking to, pat them, hug them, etc. I'm autistic and I usually jump when touched but for some reason she never made me uncomfortable. I took this as a good sign and I allowed her to touch me since I knew it was her way of showing affection since talking wasn't very easy for her. It started as pats on the back and shoulder, then it was hugs, then full on embraces. Now she's at the point where she feels the need to kiss me over and over. This was the point when I became a bit uncomfortable with the contact but only because I was afraid of how it might be perceived. I have short hair and an overall butchy and masculine appearance that makes many residents with memory issues believe that I'm a man, and I'm also openly a lesbian. One of my coworkers had to be physically separated from a resident who was romantically pursuing her, and I was afraid that my interactions with Mary would be seen as romantic or overtly sexual. Just to clear things up, I'm not attracted to Mary, and I'm almost certain she's not attracted to me. She just constantly assures me that she loves me and that I'm really sweet, but she never came off as flirty or anything. After a few weeks of this, Mary had become persistent. When she's done eating, she stands by the kitchen door as I do dishes and simply watches me, waiting for me to come out and talk to her. In really busy times, she waited almost an hour for me to be free, 
just standing in the doorway and looking in. As I'm serving food and taking orders, she watches me. Co-workers and residents usually find it sweet or funny how she reacts, but she literally won't let me go once she has a hold of me. She's actually a really tiny woman, but she's strangely strong, and even if she wasn't, I can't exactly push one of my residents away. So, I'm pretty much forced to deal with the hugs, kisses, and assurances of her love until either I or a co-worker can get it through to her that I have to go back to work. Even then, it doesn't always work out since she's half-deaf. She usually understands what I'm saying after a while, but whenever a co-worker comes to my rescue, Mary becomes strangely hostile towards them, holding me tighter and saying she'd hold me for the rest of her life if she could. Tonight went as usual with Mary waiting for me and attacking as soon as I stepped out of the kitchen. One of the CNAs told her that I had to get back to work, and Mary gave her literally the dirtiest, meanest look I had ever seen her give, and whispered to me that she would be back later. As a co-worker and I were closing the kitchen, Mary showed up again, just like she had promised. My co-worker was getting the mop water ready in the back of the kitchen, and I stepped out to clean the counter in the dining room when she latched on to me. No one can bother us now, she said, and I heard it pretty clearly. She didn't like it, she continued, most likely talking about the CNA that interrupted her. Mary embraced me, kissing me over and over and told me how much she loved me and how she would love me for the rest of her life. After about five minutes, I was determined to get back to work, but she just hugged me tighter. Eventually, someone was trying to get a luggage cart through the dining room, so I tried to break it off to let them through, but Mary just dragged me to the other side to let them through without letting me go. It was nearly ten more minutes until I could convince her to let me go. According to the CNAs, all Mary talks about is me. Even though I'm off, and Mary knows I'm off, she waits for me as though I might show up somehow. I truly do love and care about Mary, and I often wonder what made her latch on to me. I don't know if I remind her of someone from the past, or if she just happens to really like me, but it's getting to the point where her life revolves around me and she's willing to fight against anyone who gets in the way of that. It would be really sweet and cute if she just happened to like me, but she can't stand to be away from me. What really scares me is how she retaliates against everyone in order to be with me. My mom's theory is that Mary knows her life is coming to an end, as she's at least 85 to 90, and finds some sort of comfort in me. And then I thought about the theory about Mary, how she might think I'm a man. And it turns out, that was the case. One of the administrators at work told me to avoid Mary until they could talk to her about the situation. And as I did dishes tonight, we had the kitchen doors closed so Mary couldn't get to me. She started banging on the door, staring in at me. When a CNA told her that she needed to leave me alone and let me do my work, Mary then said, I want him and the CNAs tried to explain to her that I was not only a girl, but also a minor, and this just sent Mary into a frenzy as she claimed that they were lying and that she wanted to be with her man. She started making threats, both legal and physical, and eventually it was decided that corporate would be brought into it and decided if the best option would be kicking her out since she technically sexually harassed a minor. I was told this by one of my co-workers who was helping to guard the door, I was stunned, horrified, and a lot of other things I can't really describe. This whole time, all of the kissing, touching, holding, it was all sexual. All the time she invited me to her room, it wasn't just to hang out with me, it was to do things with me. The woman I had thought of as a sort of grandma-esque figure 
was romantically obsessed with me and I can't help but feel violated. Even though she wasn't allowed to come near me, she sat by the dining room sobbing, feeling as though her only love was taken from her. It's sort of a difficult situation since I truly do love her, but not in the way that she loves me. I know now that she's not all there in the head, and I wish that I would have known this before reluctantly allowing her to kiss me on the mouth and touch me on the chest and thigh. I just thought this was her strange way of expressing herself through touch, but it seems that was simply too optimistic. So my friends Carol, Xander, Marie, and Vanessa and I all decided to go to a traffic light party that was held in our high school. We all met at Vanessa's to drink beforehand and have fun in case the party was whack. Thereafter, we went to the high school. We arrived right at the start and none of our other friends were there. We then decided to go into a back room where the teachers had laid out chips and soda for students who weren't planning on drinking. We sat and relaxed and our other friends slowly arrived. For some background information, Carol had a really creepy admirer. He was in Maria's class and was a bit older than us. His name was Jacob. Jacob was known for being a huge pothead and not being afraid to experiment with other substances. He was constantly seen being slow and weird during school time, which I assume was him being high or something. He had met Carol at a previous party and fell head over heels for her. Even though they only spoke for a minute at that party, after the party, he had texted her every day, seeing how Carol had a heart of gold and that she was the light of his life. This obviously creeped her out and she confronted him and said that the feelings were not returned since they had only met each other once. This angered Jacob, and he decided to be pretty aggressive about it. Ever since that happened, Carol had received death stares from Jacob during school time. But fast forward to the traffic-like party, after being in the back room for a while we decided to go out to the dance floor. We sadly lose Vanessa in the crowds, so it's just me, Xander, Carol, and Maria dancing. I then spot Jacob circling us. He clearly was under the influence, and I warned Carol and the others. We quickly went outside in an enclosed area for smokers. Lots of people were there, and we had some convos with a few peeps we knew. I then spot Jacob on the other side of the enclosed area, and he had a friend with him. I then told Carol that we had to go again and we decided to take cover in the teacher's back room. We sat and relaxed, but guess who showed up? Jacob. Anna's friend. They sat at the table behind us and Carol got really scared. Jacob kept repeatedly pointing out Carol for his friend. We then decided to go again and this time we went for the dance floor. We stayed there for 30 minutes and I saw Jacob stalking us through the crowds multiple times and giving me death stares constantly. I have never, ever seen anyone that angry, and I had never spoken a word to the guy. He literally gave me the, if I get my hands on you, I'll break you in half stare. I was so scared that I didn't want to turn my back on him in fear of what he would do. We go up to the bar and order some drinks, and I spot Jacob and his friend again. Jacob is growing increasingly aggressive and tries to run towards us, but his friend stops him from coming over. I then recognized Jacob's friend from one of my classes from middle school. At this point, he comes close enough to Xander and me and tries to lunge out after us. At this point, we had had enough and we make a run for it. My heart was beating like crazy. I had never been in any direct danger before that and I was incredibly scared. We ran over to the security guards and told them everything. They confronted Jacob and he almost crapped his pants. 
We then went back to the teacher's back room and calmed down. I then saw Jacob's friend that I used to go to school with. I confronted him and he said that Jacob was indeed under the influence and that it was not alcohol. He agreed that Jacob's behavior was unacceptable and apologized to us on behalf of him. I have not seen Jacob since then and heard from Maria that he doesn't show up for school anymore. To preface and give some context, I'm a 21-year-old male who makes a habit of taking road trips across the U.S., and I'm not one who is inexperienced when it comes to hiking or dangerous situations. I have had people stalk my camp in Kansas and stare over my fire in Utah with a shotgun. Point being, I've had weird experiences, but none that have ever chilled me like this one. This just happened earlier today, and I want to get it out while the image is still sharp in my mind. I was out hiking a trail in southern Indiana with a female friend of mine. It was around 90 degrees and muggy as all get out. The trail specifically is the Three Lakes Trail and is a little over 10 miles long and is circular so nearly impossible to get lost. We had arrived early in the morning so there was almost no one in the park at all save for a few parked vehicles. We had been hiking the trail for about 3 hours and had not seen a soul. Usually I pay attention to my surroundings a bit more and am cautious of people just because of life experiences and hearing stories like this, but with good conversations and laughs, I was distracted. My friend and I are walking downhill towards a sharp left turn when, out of seemingly nowhere, a woman steps around the bend and starts hiking up the hill towards us with her head down. She was average height, but much more muscular than a typical woman. She is wearing a sports bra, short shorts, and a backpack which left most of her body exposed. Her tattoos are what first caught my eye. All across her body are these weird shapes and symbols that didn't make much sense. I didn't see anything that resembled a picture or English words. As she came within about 10 feet of us, she looked up and we made eye contact. And that is when everything in me just froze up. Her face had similar symbols tattooed all over and in strings all over her face. Her eyes, though, are what I'll remember for a long time. They were just black sockets, and in the shade of the dense canopy, I couldn't make out much about what it actually was. With how humid it was that day, I don't believe that the dark sockets were makeup, and so I assumed that all around her eyes were tattooed solid black. On top of this, she must have had color contacts in her eyes as there was no white at all. With every horror and cult scenario I've ever heard running through my mind and her face chilling me to the soul, I blurted out, Good day for a hike! She just looks at me with this empty stare, holds eye contact and walks by us. I had never been so shaken up from running into someone out on a trail before and hoped never to see something like that again. This happened over 10 years ago. My brother was 6 years old at the time. We lived in an area where the summers were nice and mild, so we'd always play outside in our front yards as kids. You know, doing little kid things like melting down action figures or turning over rocks or following ants, etc. Very suburban stuff. On this day, my brother was probably doing something like that. My brother was inside our house working on paying the bills. It was probably 4 or 5 in the evening, just a typical slow-moving summer day. 
My brother tells me that he was minding his own business when a dark blue, low-rising car suddenly flashed down the street. Now, keep in mind, we had neighbors who lived next door to us who had two teenage sons. The sons had a similar colored and styled car, and they liked to speed home, so my brother initially thought nothing of this and went back to his little kid routine. Suddenly, though, someone in the car rolled down the window and called out, Hey! To my brother. My brother jerked his head up and realized this was not our neighbor's car. The man driving the car had close cropped hair, so blonde it was almost white, and a reddish, ruddy complexion. My brother put his age at 25 or younger. In the passenger seat, my brother noted that the accompanying man was either Hispanic or native, dark-complected and young as well. The car quickly swerved and parked next to our neighbor's house. In a matter of seconds, the Hispanic man bolted from the passenger's side door and lunged for my brother. Thankfully, my brother's animal panic kicked in and adrenaline forced him up, and he ran fast into the house, crying and screaming. My mom instantly ran outside knowing what had happened. She had a protective rage all mothers know acutely. She saw that the car had now sped away and watched as the exhaust trailed behind. She got a glimpse of the drivers and the car as well but sadly could not get the license plate. My mother called the police to report the presumed abduction attempt. My family is still angry about this to this day, but the police took their sweet time. They came to our house an hour later, took down the information my mother and brother gave them, and pretty much shrugged. They said there was nothing they could do and didn't seem too concerned. My mom argued with them, but they just took down her information. I don't think they filed a report. I don't know what exactly these men wanted, but I have grim ideas. We live in a smaller town that is close to a bigger city. It's very possible that they scouted my brother and saw him as a target for human trafficking, or who knows what. I shudder to think what could have happened if the timing had just been a little bit different, if my brother had not had the agility to run inside, if his legs had turned to jello instead, or if our house door had been locked or my mother not home. These two men cost me and my brother some childhood innocence, and we no longer could play outside in our carefree way. It was 2015, I was in my second year of university, and to give context, I lived at home and simply drove to class since the university was only 15 minutes from my house. I lived in a condo that was pretty upscale and it was situated right at an intersection, so when you exit the parking garage, you'd have to wait at a signal. I had quite an expensive car that my parents had bought me, and it often stuck out in the crowd. My city is quite safe though, so I never felt threatened and often drove with my window down. It was fall, so everything was quite peaceful and chill. One morning, I was coming out to the parking garage and waiting at the signal to turn left when a Jaguar drove up beside me. I didn't think anything of it and continued to listen to my music when I see him roll down his window and gesture for me to look at him. Thinking he needed directions or wanted to get in my lane, I turned the volume down and he immediately said, You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Flattered, but not interested because I had a boyfriend and I know I'm not beautiful, I said thanks awkwardly. Before university, I had been to an all-girls private school in another country, so I had really little experience with guys flirting or compliments like that from strangers. He then insisted that I give him my number and that we could go out for coffee sometime, 
I said no thanks, that I had a boyfriend, but thanks for the compliment. He insisted that I give him his number. People on the sidewalk were now looking because he was yelling quite loudly through his car to mine. Wishing the signal would open, I didn't know what to do. So as an inexperienced young woman who watched way too much TV, I decided to just give him a fake number. Bad idea. He took out his phone and thank god the signal opened so I booked it out of there and I'm guessing he turned right. When I got to university, I totally texted all my friends about it and we laughed at how he would call the number and find out it wasn't mine. I wish that was the end of it, but it wasn't. A few days later was the weekend and two of my friends and I decided to go watch a movie at the theater across the street. If anyone knows the Mississauga downtown area, they know that everything is in the same area. The theater, the mall, the community center, everything. So we were sitting in the concessions area waiting for them to open up our theater to enter and this guy walks up to me. He's all like, Oh hey, I tried calling you but I think I got a wrong number because it kept going to some old lady's number. I'm just shocked at this point but don't think much of it because we're in my neighborhood and it's totally possible to run into him. I once again iterate that I have a boyfriend and that I wasn't interested. My friends get all protective too and probably see my body language so one of them steps up and says, Hey buddy, she's not interested. Her boyfriend's coming any minute now and you don't want to meet him. He mumbled something that I couldn't hear and just says that he'll see me later. At this point, I'm a little creeped out. For the next few days, I see him every morning at the signal. Somehow he knows my timings and gets lucky enough to be right beside me every time. I've started driving with my windows up at this point and have my sunglasses on every day so he doesn't see my expression. He horns, he rolls his windows down. One day he got really close to the side of my car to yell something closer. I try my best to ignore him. However, I can't really do much about it because he's technically not done anything illegal. Here's another problem. I know he lives near me, but the problem is that my parking garage is shared by my building and another building, so I don't know which one he could live in. I can't report him to the building's security, they're pretty useless and don't care, and it's getting on my nerves, but I don't know what to do. The final straw was when I was in my university library trying to get books for an essay. I'm in the quiet zone working near the aisle when I notice this guy looking at me from the sofa area. I'm not very good with my farsight and just thought the person was spaced out like many others in the library. I was curious why this person wouldn't look away after a while so I asked the guy beside me in the individual study desk area to take a picture of me. Since the stare was in the shot, I was able to zoom in and take a better look. The student complied and I zoomed in. It was him. This guy, he's like at least 28 to 34, he looks nothing like a student no bag or anything near him so there's no way he's there for freaking books. Coincidences don't happen this often. At this point, I'm freaked so I go to the front desk with books and I ask to check out. I tell the girl at the desk of what's happening. She graciously arranged for the senior librarian, a six foot tall man, to escort me to my car. I'm paranoid the whole car ride home. How did he find me? My university is close, about 15 minutes away, but not that close. It involves quite a few turns and he really didn't look like a student. After like five to six more days of signal BS, I get tired and tell my boyfriend and my parents about it. My parents freak out. They live in another country as expats so it's not like I could leave my home either. My parents and boyfriend are all on a conference call with me so they're discussing how this guy is possibly following me. 
Then my boyfriend suggests that maybe it's because of my car. I've only personally seen one to two of them in my city, and my car color was rose gold, so literally anyone could spot me. It wouldn't be that hard for him to follow the only rose gold car in the city. They all come up with the idea of my boyfriend switching cars with me for the next few weeks. I was also to leave for my class two hours before my normal schedule to throw him off and tint my boyfriend's car so that the creep doesn't spot me in the new car. My boyfriend also gets my own car tinted. The tints for both cars are illegal by Ontario's standards, but at this point, we'd rather pay fines than get followed by the creep. This plan works. I no longer see him, and I really do think he was following my car around. Maybe he even go to a local hangout spots and check the parking lots to see if he could spot my car. Either way, for the next few weeks, it all works out and everything's fine. Then one day, while I'm heading to the gym, I get a call from my boyfriend that the creep is following him in my car. My car is tinted at this point, so the creep doesn't know it's my boyfriend in there and not me. He says that he's calling the cops and to use our find my friend feature to keep an eye on where he's heading just in case something happens. I'm legit worried at this point. After a few hours, I hear back. So after my boyfriend called the police, the dispatch said that the cops wanted him to drive to the mall parking. There's a police station at this mall, and the cop could come out to his car in plain clothing to ward off suspicion. The creep was of course following my boyfriend in my car, and the cop affirmed this, approached the creep and apprehended him. He threatened him with stalking, took down his info and gave him a serious warning. My boyfriend had gotten out of the car by then, and the creep apparently stared daggers at him the whole time. This creep was never able to find me again, and my parents in the meanwhile had worked to get me moved to a new home outside of downtown, in a more affluent neighborhood where I wouldn't stick out too much. I've also changed my license plate, still have tint, but also changed my car color so it's more natural. Now if I rarely ever go to the downtown Mississauga area, I always have to watch behind my back. When I was 17, I moved to a college two hours away from home and took residence in the dorms on campus. The dorms were not run through the school, but through a management company. There were a lot of safety problems in the dorms as a result of this. Assaults, ODs, drugs, shootings right outside. I'm a 100 pound female, so I always watched out for serious situations around me. Everything was great. I had some awful roommates, but I was mostly left alone. One day in September, I was leaving for class early in the morning when I spotted a condom taped to my name tag on the door. It had a note that said, Call me, XOXO, with some random phone number. I told the RAs and nothing came of it. I just thought it was some random prank pulled by one of the guys on the floor. Things went south with my roommates, mostly because of my night terrors, scaring them, even though I warned them before we even agreed to be roommates. So I was moved into a two-bedroom dorm with my new roommate, Jay. We each had our own room. After a week of living there, I started noticing that things were appearing in the living room while we were sleeping. I asked Jay about it, and she vehemently denied it was her. One day, we noticed that the lock on the front door did not lock properly. If you pulled in the lock and twisted the handle at the same time, the door would come open. Around the same time, I started to get snapchats of inappropriate things, vague threats and offers for great sex. I would get ones that would say things like, you look great today with that specific article of clothing I was wearing. I filed a report to the dorms to get the lock fixed, but it took four months, eight complaints, threat of legal action, and my friend D yelling at them to get any action. 
We got our door fixed, but the presence still appeared outside of the door with notes for me. I was still receiving Snapchats, but I moved out of the dorms into an apartment with my then-boyfriend. The Snapchats continued, then I started getting calls at my work. I worked from the dean's office of my college, and I was in charge of answering phones. Every day I would get three or more calls from randomly generated numbers. Discovered it was through apps like Viber and Skype after I reported it to the police and they investigated. I would answer the phone. CLAS, Dean's office, how may I help you? I would hear heavy breathing for a few seconds and then they would hang up. I thought it was just some 12-year-old pranking our office until my coworker got a call. She answered with her name and the person on the line asked if they could speak with me. Thinking it was one of the deans that I had been working with, she forwarded it to my phone. I answered and I received the same heavy breathing and hung up. I reported it to my boss and she did nothing. One of the deans overheard the conversation and reported it to Title IX. Oh boy, talking to them was a mistake. After meeting with them, the threat started getting worse and this person found me in my new apartment. One day in December, I was dog-sitting two wonderful dogs who hated other dogs and would bark at them on sight. It was around 11pm and I decided to take them out before bed. We get outside. To the right of me is a bunch of thick trees that are hard to see through. I start to take the girls to the grass on the left. They start growling and barking at something in the trees. Thinking it's another dog, I try to pull them away but they will not budge. I glance over and out of the trees comes a tall man. But weird thing is he's wearing a Michael Myers-like mask. He starts rushing towards me. The dogs get between me and him, and he stops. I run up the stairs behind me into the apartment as he is disappearing into the trees again. Stupidly, I don't call the police, but I see him one more time before I move to my new apartment. Things are quiet for a while. My boyfriend and I break up, and I spend the first few days in the new apartment alone. I come to find out that the window that can be accessed from the ground doesn't lock. One morning I wake up, everything seems normal. I check the mirror to do my hair for work. I have a bald spot. My head was shaved in the middle of the night. I find my hair tied up in knots in an envelope. I immediately call the police. They do an investigation. Find the window was broken but couldn't find anything to figure out who it was that came into my apartment. They asked me to compile a list of everything that was missing and the only thing gone other than my hair was three pairs of dirty underwear. I have photos of the hair and a bald spot if anyone is interested. An investigation finds no one. I have since moved. I no longer answer phone calls at work and I keep bear spray next to my bed at all times. I moved to V-Town around the time I turned 13. My father was in the military and we quickly outgrew base housing, which led me and my mother to buy a duplex in V-Town. It was a small town, dusty and run down, but with some charm left over still. Our house was on Main Street and behind it sat a creek that ran under a bridge and into a dam. After a month or so of living in V-Town, I realized that while this town functioned normally on the surface, underneath it was buzzing with heavy and dark air too thick for me to breathe. We lived in V-Town for four years and while I did have some good times, I can only recall being miserable and scared most of the time. I still have nightmares of being locked in my old room, not being able to breathe or speak, trying desperately to hide from the invisible. 
My family and I refer to these years we spent in that house as the forgotten years. We all have trouble remembering our time as a whole, but we can remember some bits and pieces. Sometimes we'll sit and compare stories, remembering but still trying to forget. I wish I could put my experiences in chronological order, but living in that house seemed like a timeless loop. These are some events that I can vividly recall. My father and siblings had gone to visit a family member, so mom and I were vegging out on late night TV after giving the house a deep cleaning. We both heard a loud crash from upstairs and immediately grabbed a plastic lightsaber and pre-dialed 911. We went to investigate my brother's room and found a large toy across the room, clearly no longer in the toy chest that we had placed it in earlier that evening. That was one of many loud crashes and instances of things being thrown. My little brother Danny hated his room. It was located in the attic, across the landing from my bedroom. My brother spent most nights at that house sleeping in my bed. My other two siblings spent several nights a week curled up in bed with Danny and I as well. This went on for most of the time we lived in V-Town. Danny would complain that something was scratching under his bed and at the wall space above his head. One night he came into my room, tears streaming down his face and bloody scratches swelling on his upper back. He regularly chewed his nails down to the quick. There was no explanation. There was never an explanation. I also experienced the scratching under my bed on the rare nights that I slept in my room alone. I would hear voices, see wretched faces drifting around my head, and my bed would shake. Those nights were the worst. I would have concluded that I was losing my mind if I was the only one seeing and feeling these things. I often had a little boy visit me outside the door of my room. He would sit out the cracked door and watch my siblings and I sleep. My sister and I saw him once when both of our little brothers were sleeping soundly on the floor next to my bed. I remember crying because I felt like I needed to protect that little boy from the evil in our house. My whole family refused to enter the unfinished basement due to the growling noise that floated around your head and followed you back up the stairs. My youngest brother Elliot would see men in top hats standing outside our shed in the backyard. We later found out that in the past it had been utilized as an ice house. It was built by the town milkman who had also built our home. The milkman would cut giant cubes of ice from the creek behind our house and pack the small building with ice, sawdust, and hay. It was the town's source of ice for the warmer months. It was revealed to us by a local history buff that the small crawl space we played in underneath the ice house was where the town people had stored their deceased in winter until the ground was soft enough to dig a grave in. We had several neighbors end their life in the years we spent in V-Town. The whole town felt like it had a heavy cloud of negative energy, and to me it felt like it all stemmed from the dam, 300 feet from our house. I remember sitting on the edge of the dam and staring at the vicious black frothy water, trying to decide if it was worth slipping over the edge into, like several residents of V-Town had done before me. My father retired from the military when I was 17. We quickly relocated to upstate New York and the V-Town house was on the market for six months. It ended up getting foreclosed on, like many of the historical but rundown houses that filled our town. A month after the house had been foreclosed on, I drove back to V-Town to visit a few friends. We came up with the terrible idea of spending the night in that house and try and capture something. One of the glass panels on the front door had been replaced with plastic and I easily popped the panel out to unlock the front door and break in. Including myself, there were four of us. We camped out in my bedroom and set up a simple voice recorder. It was as if the house was rebelling against our presence. We heard dishes breaking, 
stomping up and down the multiple staircases and growling in the abandoned house. I felt like I held my breath the entire time we were there. When we heard laughing and knocking, we decided we had had enough. It was time to get out of there. We packed our sleeping bags back up and fled the house. We were there for a total of five hours. I'm not sure what happened to the voice recorder after that night. Sometimes I wish I could remember every creepy thing that occurred in that house because it's odd to have chunks missing from my life like that, but honestly, I'm glad I don't. Dealing with the trauma that I incurred helped me discover that I am an empath who is very sensitive to the paranormal, more specifically to energy imprints. I still do have experiences anywhere I live, as does my family, but nothing will ever compare to the constant feelings of horror and dread we had in the V-Town house. This happened about two years ago, and I've been a full believer since then. Up until that point, I've always liked the idea of the supernatural. I enjoy horror movies and late-night Wikipedia rabbit holes, but it was never anything I took very seriously. So like I said, about two years ago, my grandma and I drove up to Weatherford, Texas for my aunt's baby shower one weekend. I was excited because we were staying in this really historic bed and breakfast that was this gorgeous Victorian house, and those are always my favorite. The baby shower came and went, and Grandma and I were winding down for the night in our room. I was leafing through one of the bedside pamphlets that spoke of the history of the building and some of the hauntings it was rumored to have. It was mildly entertaining, but I didn't take it too seriously. This really sounded like any other haunting that older hotels boast about. I fell asleep, and I soon began to dream. And in my dream, I wake up in the same bed and have this urge to walk out into the hallway in front of the stair landing. The stairs themselves of this place are these big old wooden carvings with stained glass in the windows. In my dream, there's a woman standing in a white dress on these stairs with the colored reflections of the stained glass on her. She looked ethereal almost, but more than anything I remember suddenly being overcome with this overwhelming sadness, just pure despair and melancholy. Suddenly, I wake up in my bed and I've been crying, but as I come to... I notice I am feeling this really tight squeeze on my heel, almost like a full fist covering the back of my foot and just increasingly adding pressure. As soon as I become fully awake and pull my foot, it disappears. I'm a little freaked out, but I eventually drift back off to sleep and have normal dreams. The next morning, I'm waking up when my grandma starts talking about her night. She starts telling me about how she had a dream with a woman and she just felt so overcome with this sorrow that she thought was never going to end, and as she came to from the dream, she felt someone pulling on her big toe under the sheet, and as she became fully awake, it disappeared. My grandma just about had a heart attack when I told her almost the same thing happened to me. A couple of years ago, I was in my old house in Minnesota, watching TV after my whole family had gone to bed. I finally got tired and decided to go to bed as well, but since I was the last one up, I had to put our yellow lab, Chili, to bed before I went upstairs. Her nightly routine was to go outside and go potty, then bark at the front door when she was ready to come in. After someone lets her in, she runs around the house trying to find her Kong and brings it to her cookie dish in the kitchen where it gets filled and given back to her and she takes it to her pillow in the family room. 
Before I go on, I'm going to have to explain the layout of the house. The kitchen and living room weren't separated at all. It was just a big space with the TV on one end and the refrigerator on the other. Chili's cookie dish was in the kitchen and her bed was in the living room. Then from the middle of the two spaces there were three hallways. The one on the left went through the dining room, the one in the middle went to the front door, and the one on the right went through the family room, separate from the living room. There were no doors or anything, so from the kitchen you could go through any of the halls, and from the front door you could go down any hall. So basically, all routes led either to the front door or the kitchen and living area. Anyway, I got off the couch and went down the center hallway to let Chili out. She ran outside and I wandered back into the living room to watch TV a while while I waited for her to do her business. I was watching Friends, and right before Chili barked, I saw Rachel drop the cheesecake that she and Chandler stole. I turned around and let Chili in and she ran down the family room hallway to get her Kong. I closed and locked the front door, then I went down the main hallway and was waiting for her at a cookie dish, watching the exit to the hallway she had gone down but I didn't see her come out. Just when I was about to call her to hurry along, I heard Rachel cry out on the TV. I looked up and she had just dropped the cheesecake. Then I heard Chili bark outside the front door. Confused. I walked back up to the front door and looked out the windows on the side, and there was Chili sitting on the porch. I freaked out a little and thought that I had let some random dog in earlier that was now just somewhere in my house, but I looked in the family room and didn't see anything. Weird, but whatever. Maybe I was just tired. I unlocked the door and let Chili in again. Again, I went over to her cookie bowl in the kitchen and waited. Again, she never came out. And then I looked up at the TV... And you guessed it, Rachel dropped the cheesecake, and Chili barked. I was starting to feel really uncomfortable, so I turned off the TV before I went to let Chili in again. This time I made her stay with me while I locked the door, then I went with her to find her Kong. Filled it up, and she took it to her pillow and I went to bed, thoroughly freaked out. A few months later, I was telling my family this story for the first time while we were sitting around a campfire. After I finished... My dad looked over my shoulder and said, Huh? I turned around, and Chili was laying right behind my chair, but my dad had just locked her in her kennel by the tent before I started telling the story. My best friend passed away a few weeks ago. After a crisis, she wound up in the hospital in a coma. Before she was in a coma, I was the last person to talk to her. We were talking over Facebook call and chat, and I talked to her on the phone until she was placed in a car and drove away from her house and the Wi-Fi cut out. She was in the hospital for three days. I thought she was going to be okay eventually, but she ended up passing away the third full day she was there. The day she passed, I woke up that morning to a message from her on Facebook that said, Why aren't you answering the phone? And it included a voicemail that was her voice, and I could hear her very muffled and low crying. I thought she was awake. I called and got no answer. She died three hours after I received that message, and she never woke up from her coma. Is the reasonable explanation that her phone finally had enough Wi-Fi signal to send messages that she had tried to send three days ago, when she was still conscious? I just don't know, and it still haunts me.
I've always been a strong believer in the paranormal and never a stranger to it. I've had experiences back to when I was a kid, and I figured I'd share a few of the ones that really got me. Being no stranger to Ouija boards, though many don't believe it, even the ones I've done them with, I've had some crazy experiences with them. The one that stuck out to me most and where it really showed a presence, I was in my living room with my girlfriend at the time, a roommate and some friends, going through the basic ritual of it and started talking to a spirit. It said that it was present in the house. We went through asking where it was. Now the way the place was set up, you walk through the front door, we had a shoe rack against the wall directly in front of the door and a staircase going up to the left. This spirit said it was upstairs, and my roommate, who was extremely Christian and had studied demonology and was an ordained minister, started walking up the stairs. He was about 350 pounds, just a very big guy. As he started walking up the stairs, we turned as he yelled and got thrown backwards into the shoe rack that was against the wall. Needless to say, we said our goodbyes and put it away. The next was an old abandoned glass factory by where I lived. Nothing was known to be paranormal about it or it being haunted, but we snuck in and immediately felt some kind of energy. The same roommate after a while said that we had to leave, the spirits weren't good, so I had been recording the entire thing on my phone voice recorder. I lost it over the years, but when we got out we listened to it. Nothing out of the ordinary until we're leaving. The roommate was saying different things on the way out. As I mentioned, he was very Christian, so he was trying to keep away spirits that were trying to harm us, he would say. I remember one specifically on the recording. He had said, By the power invested in me by Jesus Christ, you will not harm us. Now, I was about five feet next to him walking out, and two other friends were maybe 15 to 20 feet in front of us. Immediately after, he said this on the recording, what sounded to be his voice, just a little higher pitched, you hear, down with your king. Most people I've showed it to when I had it said that it had been him or the other two joking, but it was audible in the recording enough that they would have had to yell it with how far they were, and if he had whispered it next to me so I wouldn't hear, it wouldn't have been that audible. You could hear it two to three times throughout the recording, the same message. The last one is to this day one of the craziest experiences I've had. Another kid who lived with us at the time, his parents owned a house that he said was very haunted. He would see his dead grandmother in the house, other spirits who would interact with him, the normal that you would expect from a haunted house. No one lived there anymore and they were getting ready to sell so we decided to take a trip there. The other roommate was on the couch saying verses in Latin trying to make a connection to whatever was in the house. I was standing in the hall recording video up the stairs where most of the activity was said to have been seen and the other kid and his girlfriend were across from the window at the bottom of the stairs. All of a sudden, she screamed and was pointing at the window. The one on the couch had started to get super antsy and paranoid, saying that there was nothing good there and we had to go immediately. Now, this I have on video and can try to upload to Imgur to show you guys, but all of a sudden on the window, clear as day, handprints had appeared from what would have been the outside as if though someone was trying to get in almost when your window is foggy and you put your hands on them. We got out of there right then and there, and never went back. Like I said, I'm no stranger to the paranormal, and I've had many experiences, but those have always stuck out to me the most.
I've always had a fascination with the paranormal. I have had many personal and shared experiences that I just can't explain. I like to consider myself a skeptic as well, using reason and logic to debunk such goings on. One of the most terrifying events that occurred to me was in the summer of 2008. I was spending the night at my Aunt Dee's apartment. It was around 1 and I was alone in the living room. Now the apartment was very small, having only one bedroom and one bathroom. They were both right next to each other in the rear of the apartment. I was sitting on the floor in the living room watching the TV with all the lights off. Like I said, the apartment was really tiny. My aunt's bedroom was right behind me and to the right with a small hallway separating the bedroom and the restroom. I had previously used the restroom and I always shut off the lights. My aunt always had her bedroom door shut. I don't recall what I was watching but I had the volume down so as not to bother my aunt. The kitchen was on the other side of the wall behind the television. To the right of the kitchen was the dining area where there was a large and round wooden table there. Again the apartment was quiet and it was late. As I sat there watching TV, I briefly heard what sounded like a glass or cup slide on the wooden table. The table must have been at least 10 feet from me. As soon as I heard that sound, it drew my attention. I gazed in the direction and lowered the volume on the TV some more. I focused back on the television and now I hear what sounded like a coin being dropped on the very same table. Again, I gazed in that direction, puzzled as to how a coin would bounce on the wooden dinner table. I turned back and began to watch the TV. Now at this point, I start to feel uneasy. The next thing that happened is something I can still recall as if though it happened to me yesterday. It still makes my skin crawl and it sends shivers up my spine whenever I think about it. After I heard the coin bounce on the table, I directed my attention to the TV as I turned my head towards the TV. I heard the most menacing growl to my right that made me jump and lean away from it. It was so close to me and loud that I thought there was an actual animal about to attack me or something. I scramble up and flip on the lamp closest to me and immediately walk to see my aunt's doors closed. It was. I look in the bathroom. It was empty. I begin to turn on all the lights. I check to see if the main entrance door was locked. It was. I walk into the kitchen, empty of course. I had the view to the entire apartment from my original vantage point. No one could have snuck up on me and then retreat away in an instant like that. My heart was beating so hard it felt as if though it was about to burst from my chest. I sat on the couch amazed at what transpired, trying to fathom how or what could have made that deep throaty demonic snarl. Thank goodness I have not heard anything like that since then. Non-believers look at me with disdain when I tell them about this incident. I guess I would have been skeptical too, but... Under these circumstances, I just can't explain it. Has anyone else ever had anything like this happen to them? I'll be posting more of my other encounters with the unexplainable soon. This took place on January of 2015 in the US. A little bit of backstory. I had known my roommate Alex for three years at the time of the event. We met through a mutual friend that figured that I could use a Hispanic roommate when I moved to the States to go to college because I too am a Spanish speaker. I always thought that he was rather odd and possibly homosexual but that never bugged me considering that I have several homosexual family members. Alex never spoke about his sexuality near me. In fact, I had every reason to believe he was homosexual because of the way he talked, dressed, and behaved overall. The thing that always struck me as weird 
is the fact that he would constantly make fun of homosexuals. After some time, my brother Jacob and I got extremely surprised when he introduced us to his new girlfriend Kelly. I remember saying, wow, I guess he's not gay after all, to my brother as a joke. Kelly seemed nice and all, but she didn't live in town. So Alex and Kelly were having a long-distance relationship and always spent their free time on Skype talking. After some time, my brother and I realized that Alex was coming home quite late. My brother then assumed that Alex was cheating on Kelly because he noticed that Alex would come back rather exhausted, wearing his shirts inside out. It was none of our business, so we kept our theories to ourselves. One day, Kelly came to visit. While she was visiting, she discovered that Alex had a dating site on his phone. She also realized that the dating site was for homosexuals, and he had several messages that talked about some sexual encounters that had happened in the past. She also came to realize that he was on Craigslist looking for one-night stands with men. Kelly was beyond furious with him and made him write a public apology on Facebook. Alex was a graduate student and had many of his colleagues, teachers, and even his advertisers on Facebook. Everyone knew what he had done. Alex was devastated. He wasn't really talking to Jacob or me after the incident. Some weeks went by and things weren't getting any better. He was also financially broken, still in really bad shape. I noticed that he'd stopped eating and was only drinking coffee and reading the Bible. Now, I apologize for the long backstory, but I think it's necessary for this story to make sense and context. Now to the day of the incident. I went to school that day and had plans to go eat with my girlfriend after. When we met to go eat, I had a weird feeling that I needed to go home. I didn't know why, but one thing was certain at the time, and... That was that I had to cancel my lunch plans and go back home. My girlfriend thought it was weird, but she said okay. When I arrived, I noticed that Alex was sitting in the living room basically staring at nothing. I attempted to start a conversation with him. I said, Alex, are you okay? I've noticed that you've been really stressed out lately. Do you want to talk about it? But he didn't answer. It was like Alex didn't even acknowledge that I was in the room with him. So I said, well... I guess I'll leave you to your thoughts then. I went upstairs to the bathroom. When I was done with my business, I heard some screaming and yelling coming from downstairs. I remember saying out loud, What? What is that? I was slowly making my way downstairs when I started hearing growling followed by laughter, followed by growling again. It was weird. When I got downstairs, I saw Alex on the floor of the living room twisting his body like he was in pain. I remember asking, Alex, what's wrong? Are you hurt? But he didn't answer. He just kept on screaming and laughing. I was in shock. What was actually going on here? I remember screaming at him. Snap out of it, dude! The room felt cold. Really cold. He kept twisting his body like he was having an epileptic seizure. At one point he stopped, and then he looked at me. His eyes were completely rolled back, so all I could see was white, and in a demonic voice in perfect English, he said, It's the devil. I froze. Alex was also from a Hispanic-speaking country, so he had a very thick accent. How could he possibly be speaking in this perfect, attenuated English? After saying that, he started speaking a weird language. It was like he was speaking backwards. He kept twisting his body around, and now his tongue was moving like a snake, like the little girl from The Exorcist. I didn't know exactly what to do. I thought of recording it, but I was too scared to do so. I went outside the house and saw my neighbor. I told him what was happening, and I even opened the door so he could see what Alex was doing. All he said to me was, 
I'm sorry, bro. I- I'm late for class. Good luck. Thanks for nothing, I thought to myself. I called a friend of Alex, whom was a pastor. We'll call him Daniel. I knew Daniel because him and his wife would invite us to dinner every once in a while. I haven't spoken to him for at least a year because Alex suddenly stopped talking to them. I remember saying, Daniel, I know we haven't talked in a really long time. This is going to sound crazy, but Alex is laying in my living room claiming he's the devil. Daniel's reply went a little like this. No, it doesn't sound that weird. I've dealt with similar situations in my life. I'm on the way. When I went back into my house, my heart dropped. Alex was lying face up holding a butcher knife against his stomach. He was still moving his tongue. My first thought was to take the knife away from him, but then I figured that he was unstable. A swing with that knife could end my life if I attempted to get close. I went back outside to call Daniel again, saying, Daniel, Alex is holding a knife against himself. What do I do? And he responded, Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't want you to get hurt, bud. Just wait for me outside. I'm almost there. When Daniel arrived, I showed him the way to Alex. When we got into the house, I couldn't believe my eyes. I yelled, Daniel, should I call 911? It took Daniel a little longer to acknowledge what was happening. And there he was, my roommate lying on the floor, pulling out his own intestines out of his own body. There was blood all over the floor. He just kept pulling them out. Daniel told me to go outside and call 911 immediately, so I did. I probably sounded like a complete lunatic to the dispatch operator when I explained everything to her. She said that an ambulance and the cops were on the way and asked me to tell them exactly what I had told her. When I went back inside, Daniel had stopped Alex from pulling his intestines out of his body. He started praying over him. He said, I demand to speak to Alex in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all we got back from Alex was the weird language he was speaking and the growling. When the paramedics arrived, they started working on Alex and realized he was completely out of it. They kept telling Alex to hold on and that everything was going to be okay. Alex lost consciousness, if you could call it that. They immediately took him to urgent care. My friend called and I said I couldn't talk at the moment. I told her with very short detail what was happening and hung up. The cops then questioned me and Daniel. They asked me if there were any drugs or alcohol at the house, if Alex was on medication and questions such as that. They questioned me repeatedly. Different cops asked me to tell them what had happened. They even made me write it down. This sucked because I was still trying to process what I had witnessed. However, as cops it is their jobs to be suspicious, making me repeat my statement is a technique to see if I change the story. Jacob arrived shortly after and the police questioned him too. When they were questioning Daniel, he told them that he could assure them that I had nothing to do with Alex's injuries. Even after all the questioning, the police took me into custody thinking I was responsible for what Alex did. After hours at the police station, they finally let me go. Daniel picked me up at the gas station and he took me to the hospital to see how Alex was doing. We arrived at the hospital and they told us he was in really bad shape and he was still in surgery. I was able to see him for about four hours after. He held my hand and apologized. He was barely awake. Daniel then took me back to the house. We kept discussing what had happened and he told me that Alex was possessed by a demon. That's why he was able to speak in a different language and do what he did. I told him that I was afraid of staying in that house, so he agreed to have another pastor help him bless the house. When we arrived, Jacob had already taken care of the blood. 
He told me that the cops took the knife as evidence. Good thing I didn't touch the knife. My girlfriend was there to comfort me and try to calm me down. My adrenaline was still going like crazy. She said she would stay the night with me and make me feel better. To be honest, I couldn't thank her enough for that. Not everyone would be willing to stay at that house after something like that. I was afraid that the same thing was going to happen to her in the middle of the night. Weeks later, I learned that she was thinking the same thing about me and that she was extremely scared of staying with me that night. My girlfriend and I went to bed. I fell asleep quite quickly because I had had a really traumatic day. Unfortunately, my dream was a continuation of that very same day. In the dream, I decided that I didn't want to stay at the house after that stuff with Alex, so my girlfriend and I ended up going to a hotel. At the hotel, still in my dream, I remember asking my girlfriend, how can somebody be in such bad shape that it would allow something that dark to take over their bodies? Shortly after we went to bed, I was basically sleeping within my dream when I heard a knock on the door. I looked at the clock and it was 7.03. I said, screw it, I'm so tired after what I went through that I'm just going to ignore it. Then I thought it would be news about Alex, so I got up and looked through the peephole. All I could see was an empty hallway, when suddenly, out of nothing, I saw a creature running insanely fast towards the door, hitting it very hard and laughing the moment of impact. The creature looked like that demon from Insidious, or Darth Maul as they call it, a black and red face. I backed away and I kept hearing the laughter. I was so angry after that that I punched the door right back. After punching the door I heard the creature laugh again and then it said, Well played. I woke up right after. I have always wondered if the creature I saw in my dream was the same creature that possibly took over Alex's body. Alex barely survived the incident. He spent two months in the hospital because of severe internal damage. I had to go to therapy for a very long time because of what had happened. I couldn't drink or smoke at my own house because I would dream about Alex standing up with his intestines out screaming while staring at me. Alex got better. He sent some people to get his stuff out of the house. He was too embarrassed to stay or even pick them up himself, and I really didn't want to see him after everything that happened. This has been probably the worst experience of my life. The cops that I talked to said that I did exactly what I should have done in that situation. They said that without any medical attention, Alex would have been dead in minutes. They also told me that that was probably one of the weirdest incidences that they had ever worked. My girlfriend and I believed that Thanks to the strange sensation I had of urgently having to go home instead of going out to lunch with her, Alex is still alive today. This is something that's been happening continuously. I want to ask if someone can figure out what it is that's happening. So, every time me and my wife and my stepchild move to somewhere new strange things begin to happen. First, we were living in one old house, in the town we both grew up. The house is from her grandmother who passed away in that same house years ago. She told me that her brother saw an old man walking around the house. He thought maybe someone looking for his dad or something. That was until he saw him vanish. Also, there was this one time where they saw a little kid playing around the hallway entering the rooms. My first thought is that she wanted to see if I was scared of ghosts or maybe scare me with stories or I wasn't sure. That was until one day I saw by the edge of my sight a little kid peeking in the dorm room door. 
It looked all grayish and was possibly dressed in 70s-like attire. I told my wife I saw the little kid and a week later we got out of that house. It was unplanned. The night we got out we were at dinner. We were eating and talking about something. I don't remember right now exactly. My stepchild was playing with my sister-in-law's dog and I was seeing them playing behind my wife's back. Then I heard something. It was like a squeak. I stopped talking about what we were talking about and told my wife that she had heard it too. Then I looked to my left and saw that old, dirty Fisher-Price red car with yellow top. My stepchild had one, but it was so old and a little rusty, and we thought the squeak came from it. Then I moved just an inch or two, the little car, and it makes the exact same noise. We both looked at each other, and I told her, The car just moved by itself? For what? She just stared at me and told me she saw the little car moving a little, but nobody was near or close to the car. We start talking about other unrelated stuff and I go to bed with my stepchild. My wife was in the shower and when she came out to our bedroom, she told me that she had had this little old rag in the shower. It was all dry and since nobody uses it, it was hanging there. Then all of a sudden the rag falls. I thought she was scared by the fact that an hour or two, she thought she saw the little toy car moving by itself and I started to tell her maybe that was her that dropped the rag, and maybe the wind moved the car, etc. I was trying to calm her, but I know it can't be the wind moving the car since there was not a source of wind inside the house, so we started watching a comedy movie to forget about what we had just experienced. My stepchild was seeing videos of my wife's cell phone, and we turned off the lights. We were falling asleep when my stepchild was fully awake and started to hug my wife incredibly hard. She was telling her that there was a oster and was looking at us. She was visibly scared and was pointing to the doorway. It was pitch black and the doorway was behind my back. By that time I was trying to convince myself that she was saying oyster or easter or something else, but monster. I was petrified. She started to tell us that the monster had little red eyes and was looking at us and was angry. I stood up and turned the light on to convince her that there was nothing there but... My wife was just too scared to pass the night there. We ended up in my parents' house and then just go back for our clothes and stuff until the next day. We lived with my parents for around two or three weeks and then I had to move to another country for a business opportunity. We were living outside the city in a ranch and everything was good until a couple of months later things started again. I wake up in the middle of the night to hear what seems to be a little kid laughing and lights begin to turn themselves off by themselves. We both experienced this phenomenon, and they happened during daylight too, but mostly by night. The last day I was there, I was about to close the door and heard coins being dropped on the floor, and there was nobody else there. We lived there for about three or four months until we got a new house. It's new, everything was brand new, and we've been here since then. Everything was okay since yesterday. I was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and stored the jelly in the pantry, I closed the door and go to watch TV when all of a sudden I heard a noise coming from it. I go there and open the pantry and see the jelly jar open with the cap by its side. Now, I remember closing it. And later that night, I was ready to go to bed and I was making sure all the doors are closed when I heard another noise coming from the pantry. This time, it was a soup bag and it seemed to have fallen by itself. I had checked out if there were mouses or rats in the house, but there are absolutely none. Now, is there any possibility that something 
is following us. My sister-in-law said once that my stepchild isn't baptized. She thinks that she may be stalked by something. So this happened a few days ago. I'm currently taking care of a dog and three cats for a family while they're on vacation. I don't mind. I've taken care of pets before. It's extra money. Anyway, the house is on a little back road with other smaller back roads next to it. The houses are pretty close to each other. The family's house has a small patch of woods behind it. I was at a concert with a friend and I wanted to stop by the house before we went home. It was around 11.45pm. I went inside and let the dog out the back door. I went onto the porch and looked over the woods. There was a huge, perfectly square light in the woods. It actually looked like a window. It was like sunlight was being reflected perfectly in the wilderness. I could see perfectly into the woods even though it was close to midnight. I was more confused at first. I thought it may have been a reflection from the porch light on a window. I carry a taser that's also a flashlight. I shine my flashlight onto it and look closer. It started to make less sense. No window reflection is that big. I got kind of freaked out and got the dog back in the house. I made sure the cats and dog had water before I locked all the doors. I ran outside and told my friend who was waiting in the car. I wanted to go back and look and take a picture of it. She was too scared to go with me. I went back anyways. I went around the side of the house and took a look, but it was gone. I had turned off the porch light. It started to make even less sense the more I thought about it. It wasn't there the previous night. It's been two nights in a row now I haven't seen it. If I see it again, I will upload a picture. It still doesn't make sense to me. Can somebody please explain what I could have seen? The youngest daughter of the family is terrified of their woods and she won't really explain why. She just said she heard strange noises back there. Something about those woods does creep me out. My grandparents have woods and I used to play back there all the time as a kid. The woods never really freaked me out. But this area of the woods just gives me... A weird vibe. I remember what happened so vividly even though it was about 13 years ago. I was about 7 at the time, living my daily life as any child would. Playing, dropping to the floor as a game, pranking my parents, putting water inside a half-empty toothpaste container. You know, kid stuff. There's this day in question, we were doing an activity in history class, cutting out what we call Laminas de la Independencia here in Mexico, when all of a sudden I hear an airplane passing by. Pretty normal, especially in a city like Monterrey. The sound started as a fade-in, slowly superimposing itself over everything else. Sometimes the sound could be pretty loud, except this time, it wasn't. Nobody heard anything. Except for me, it was the opposite. I heard nothing but the screech of turbine blasting itself inside my eardrums like a drill from a construction waking you up in the morning, uninvited and inadverted. I remember feeling numb, suddenly like the world tilting itself sideways like it was flipping itself over. I covered my ears because it was almost literally deafening. The sound would not become muffled even in the slightest, it felt like it was coming inside my own head. Added to my confusion was the behavior of my classmates completely neutral to the event, not a sign of alteration in their attitude towards the current affair. 
It took around five seconds for the sound to slowly fade in. The classroom was pretty loud itself, given that seven-year-olds are not known for keeping quiet, but I couldn't hear a single soul during the whole time, not even the person right beside me. Once the sound stopped, I couldn't believe what just happened, so I tried to confirm the occurrence with the people around me. First was my buddy I could always trust to be honest, his name Oscar. He said he didn't hear a thing. I was flabbergasted by that statement and thought he was playing a prank, and so I went with another girl, the same answer. I wasn't sure of what was happening anymore, given how promptly their replies were. Honestly, the thoughts of a prank left me right there. I decided to ask the teacher. She said she didn't hear anything either. Nobody heard the airplane. After school, I told my dad about what happened. He said that indeed it was very strange. He suggested the idea that I had encountered another dimension for a brief period of time since he was at the time studying a lot of metaphysics. I was always very imaginative, but the elaborations in my mind were always so intensely far away from what could be real that it was always obvious when I was making things up. This occasion wasn't one of those made-up fantasies. What kid would fantasize about something like this, especially when it causes a physically unpleasant disturbance in your life? And thus, in five seconds the story began, and in a minute it was dismantled by the unawareness of those around me, if there was anything to be aware of at all at that moment. I felt like this was the right place to talk about this very strange, inexplicable experience. I don't think I went crazy in that moment, but instead that I went somewhere else, possibly outside of an airplane, albeit not physically. What do you guys think? Alright, so a bit of background information. I'm a 15 year old male and this happened about 2 years ago. My mother works at a facility that is basically a dry cleaning factory that's like a send and delivery service for clothing of all kinds. I had been going to this factory for around 5 years since my mom worked hella late hours, around 7am to 8pm, and my dad was working out of town during this time period and I lived about 30 miles away from my school, so I didn't have any other options. Since I had been coming to my mother's workplace for years, I knew the general layout of the building pretty well, which explains events later into the story. So this was like any other day. I had gotten out of school on a Thursday, and as usual, I was driving over to the plant to hang out for a few hours while my mom worked. Around 6.30pm to 7pm, my mom was notified by her manager that she needed to leave the plant to run some kind of business errand of his. I don't know what. So she told me she was going to go run said Aaron and that she would be back in around an hour or so. I was kind of annoyed that I would have to spend extra time there but I didn't really complain. Since it was pretty much closing time, my mother and I were the only people still present at the factory and with her running this errand for her boss, that left me the factory by myself. My mother allowed me to use her work computer to watch YouTube while she was gone so that was a plus side to staying at this plant alone. After she had left... I just sat down in her office and chair and messed around on the computer and did homework. Around 45 minutes later, I was wondering where she was as she had not returned. Man, she's probably chatting with customers, I said to myself as she is prone to doing so, being the extroverted woman she is. All of a sudden, all the power suddenly shut down, leaving me in darkness in her office. I was startled by this sudden power outage and I assumed that since the building was old and the electrical wiring was shoddy, fuses had been blown or something like that. So I opened the door of my mom's office and looked out into the factory. 
Some emergency lights were on, but they barely lit the factory at all, so I was still pretty much in the dark. I took out my phone and turned on my flashlight to search for the fuse box. As I had been going to the factory for five years, I knew where the box was and found it relatively quickly. But when I was walking up to the box, I noticed something wasn't right. The fuse box was wide open and I saw the door swinging ever so slightly. Now, I was a little nervous, but I assumed for some reason that maybe a draft had caused it to open. Don't ask why. So I walked up to the fuse box and my heart fell out of my bottom as I saw the wires in the fuse box had been cut. Now I was scared and not sure what to do, knowing that I most likely wasn't alone anymore in that factory. I was thinking of my options when I spotted something out of the corner of my eye. I was looking in the direction of the back exit, which was about 10 feet away to the left of the wall with the fuse box, when I noticed that there was a slightly darker shape amidst the dark wall of the factory, about 30 feet to the right of the back exit, and I could see a subtle glint of light from the emergency lights on the figure. I noticed it and was sure that it was a person holding a sharp object. My heart was racing at this point, but I played it off like I hadn't noticed them and casually started walking to the exit. I made it to the exit and began to turn the knob, when I heard loud steps approaching. Not running towards me, more like a kind of race walk towards me. I threw the door open and ran out into the outside, where a motion light came on and flooded the area with a white light. I had to act quickly knowing I didn't have much time before whoever that was came out of the door. So thinking on my feet, I ran to and dove underneath one of the vans used for pickup and delivery for the clothes that the factory owned. I wasn't under the van for more than four seconds before the unknown person opened the door and stepped out into the motion light. The van was far enough away from the door so at an angle I could get a look at this intruder. It was what I assumed to be a medium-sized man wearing black pants and a black hoodie, he was also wearing one of those smiling masks from the Purge movie. My suspicions were also confirmed when I saw that he was carrying a large piece of sharp metal in his hand. I tried thinking about my options of survival here as I'm not very athletic at all, so running was a no-no. I was horrified to see that he had started checking underneath the other vans looking for me, so I didn't have much time to decide my next course of action. The guy was getting closer and closer to my van, and I was sure that I was dead when a miracle happened. I saw my mom pulling into the front of the lot of the factory and the guy noticed her too, so we ran off into the darkness. I waited another three minutes or so before running back into the building via the back exit and I saw my mom looking for me under one of the emergency lights. I ran to her crying trying to explain what had happened. I showed her the cut wires of the fuse and needless to say, the police were called. They took my statement of what happened but nothing ever came of it. When I first met the bag man, I was 16. I didn't even think he was anything to worry about at the time. He just passed me by while I was biking around in one of my city's forest preserves called Riverside. Riverside was always a place I could go when I was feeling stressed or anxious. So when I passed by this rugged looking guy in the middle of the woods, I didn't think anything of it. I had other things on my mind, and for all I know, I could have looked pretty rugged myself being all sweaty and wearing a black hoodie and biking around like a maniac. He and I were similarly dressed. I didn't have long to look at him as I was passing by on my bike pretty quickly, 
but he was wearing black sweatpants that were ripped in several places along the muddy white shoes and the black hoodie which he wore with the hood down. I could also make out that he was a pretty big guy in all areas. He was fairly wide and was actually pretty tall. His hair was brown and down to his shoulders. I couldn't really make out his face at the time, but little did I know I would see it in a few weeks. When he saw me coming towards him on my bike, he held up his hand all excitedly and waved at me and then began to jog while I got closer. I thought, at the time, that maybe he was out here exercising like me and seeing me made him remember to start running again or something, but as I passed him, he got so close to my bike that he almost bumped into me. I had to swerve a little to the right to try to avoid him, barely missing him. When I passed him, I kind of heard him shout something back at me, but I couldn't really understand what it was because I had my headphones in. I shrugged the situation off as I continued to bike back to my car. It took me a few minutes to get back to the parking lot and I was pretty exhausted as I loaded my bike into the back of my minivan. Once I closed the truck, I looked around for a moment to see if the guy I had seen earlier was around. I didn't see him, but the only other car that was parked there was directly across from me on the other side of the lot. It was a long white van, like the stereotypical creeper van. It was dirty and muddy like the man driving it and the windows were tinted so you couldn't really see inside. Thinking back on this situation now, it could have been totally possible that this bag man followed behind me all the way to the parking lot and had gotten into this creepy van before I could see him and was in there while I was staring at that vehicle. He could have been watching me through those dark windows and I didn't even know. When I pulled out of the parking lot, I made sure that the van stayed in its place as I passed by and drove home. That was my first encounter with the bag man. But obviously that meeting isn't what gave him his name. A little over three weeks later after my experience at Riverside, I was home alone and it was approximately 4pm. I was watching YouTube on my phone while laying in bed upstairs in my room. My dog was next to me and we were both just chilling until my dad came home from work. While I was up to go to the bathroom, I heard the doorbell ring and then two loud bangs on the door. Now, usually, when someone pounded on the door like that, it was almost always my mom because she, for some reason, likes to freak out the dog when she gets home and a few loud bangs on the door would do the job. So, my dog went running out of my room and tore down the steps to get to the front door. I followed behind him, but I didn't really feel like running. When I finally got to the door, I swung it open, expecting to see my mom. It wasn't her. It was the guy from Riverside. He was just standing there with a big black garbage bag in his hand. He was wearing almost the same outfit that he was wearing when I saw him last, except his shoes were all clean now. I looked at his face and saw he had a poorly trimmed beard that covered most of his face. His eyes were a bright blue and they stared down at me. He spoke before I had any chance to say anything. Now this will be a rough paraphrase of what he said as I don't exactly remember. Hi there young man, is Melanie around? I'd love to see her. He didn't actually say Melanie but I want to replace the name because I actually did know who he was asking for and she lived a few houses down. Um, no, I, I don't know who that is, sorry. I think at this point, I had given him some kind of smile to try to act like I wasn't completely freaked out. You see, I always park my minivan out right in front of my house so it's always in view whenever I'm home. This means that he probably recognized it and me. As if on cue, he says, I think I know you from somewhere, pal. His voice was deep and haunting and just kind of left me stunned. I stood there and didn't say anything and shrugged my shoulders. 
That's when he started to shake that bag. I don't really know how else to describe what he was doing. He was just shaking the bag up and down. I never actually saw what was inside it, but it sounded like a whole bunch of metal cookie cutters rattling around. The contents were poking and stretching the bag out in weird angles. He was still staring at me as he shook the bag and inched closer to me. Are you sure you don't know where Melanie is? He continued to shake the bag as he got closer and closer until we were nearly touching. My breath was shaky and I was looking down at the ground like a dog that had just gotten in trouble for peeing on the couch. Then, I snapped and pushed him away from me as hard as I could. His skin was flabby and soft and his shirt felt greasy. I used all my strength to get him away from me. I didn't look back as I did a 180 and sped back into my house, slamming the door once I was back inside. I could hear him pound his heavy arms against the door and the clamoring of whatever was in that bag. He banged on the door for maybe 30 seconds before he stopped abruptly. I quickly sped towards the window to see if he was still standing there, and as I moved to the side to get a better angle of the doorway, I saw him looking back at me. When we met eyes, he immediately started running back to his van which was parked across the street. I recognized it as the same one from Riverside. I was disappointed to see that there weren't any front license plate numbers, but as the van started to move and pass my house, I took down the numbers and letters that were on the back of the van. I still have them written down in my phone. Since that incident, I haven't seen the man since. I notified Melanie that some man was asking around for her. She said she had no idea who he might be and that she would tell her parents to look out for anyone that looked like who I had seen, just in case he managed to find her or her house, but it doesn't end there. About a year later, my mom and I were having lunch and she was actually scrolling through Facebook when she came upon a post from a woman who lived in the neighborhood next to ours. The woman wrote that a man driving a white van drove up to her house and knocked on the door, which her young daughter answered. The man had apparently asked her to get in his van because he had the circus in there. Apparently the mom came to the door in time before anything bad happened, but the man was still being creepy. Unfortunately, the woman didn't post a description of the man, but she definitely remembered the white van. Now I don't know exactly what the circus means, but I am almost positive it's the same man that visited my house, and I am pretty sure he is still out there preying on people because just yesterday on the local news they interviewed a nine-year-old girl who was approached by a man driving a white van. So please, if you live in the central Illinois area of the US, please look out for anyone or anything matching what I said in my story. This creep is most likely still out there because he keeps coming up on social media and the news. Stay safe, everyone. This happened back in April. I went to the movie theater, alone for the midnight showing of the new Avengers movie. I usually wait until the lobby is completely empty before I buy myself a snack and a drink. As I was filling up my cup at the soda fountain, a man came up beside me and said, Are you here for Infinity War? I politely replied, Yeah, I've been ready to see it for a while. He just smiled back. He said nothing and just stared at me. He then said with a teeth-showing grin, enjoy the movie and walked away okay that was weird I said to myself it was about 2.30 to 3 when I finally got out of the movie theater I usually go to the restroom until the place empties out I have severe social anxiety now 
I always park near the exit of this theater because the parking is terrible. It was completely empty when I started walking to my car. I started hearing a faint whistle in the near distance. This theater is right next to about 8 acres of nothing but trees. That's exactly where the whistling was coming from and my car was parked right next to it. The whistling grew louder as I got closer to my vehicle. I was on full alert as I got up to my vehicle before I could unlock my door. I hear footsteps in the whistling right behind me. I turned around as fast as I could and there he was. The man who came up to me at the soda fountain was standing inches away from me with the same deranged smile he had earlier. Now, I'm 5'3 and 115 pounds. This man had to be around 6'4 to 6'5 tall and nearly twice my height. He grabbed me by my hair and smacked my head against the driver's side door, and that's all I remember before waking up. When I woke up, I was in the backseat of my car with nothing but a pair of socks on. My vision was blurry, but I could barely see that the man was inside a gas station talking to the cashier. The key was still in the ignition, so I dragged myself to the driver's seat, shifted the vehicle, and got out of there. I must have been driving for about an hour before I realized that it was almost 7am. I went to my mom's house and had a complete mental breakdown, telling her everything. She took me to the hospital because, without even realizing it, I was bleeding from multiple areas. I had gashes all over my abdomen and my right eye was completely swollen shut. I was admitted. They did a bunch of tests. A couple of police officers came in and talked to me. I gave them a statement and thanked them for trying their best to figure everything out. It is now June and I have heard nothing. No arrests made. But two more girls have been assaulted around that area since. And I hope I never see that man who took away my sanity that night again. For context, in the present, I am a 21-year-old male. When this story took place, I was an 18-year-old female. I'm transgender, and this story happened before I began transitioning when I presented as a female. I had this best friend who, for the sake of the story, I shall deem Carly. Carly was a few years older than I was, more outgoing, and more interested in drug experimentation than I was. This being the case led to her to meet all sorts of characters, which in turn led us into some very interesting situations this one being no different, just more dangerous. I received a text from her which read along the lines of, Hey, my friend invited us to go over, you down? I had nothing better to do and she was at the time my best friend. Not thinking twice, I agreed and prepared to be picked up by her. When we were together, we went to her place for our ritual of bong hoots before taking off on our adventure. Her explaining how her friend lives in the next town over, which was a 40 minute drive at least. Once we were satisfied with our high, we set off to this friend's place. I do want to mention that I recognize how dangerous of behavior this was for us to be operating a vehicle under the influence. Looking back at it, it was very irresponsible and we were putting not only ourselves but everyone on the road at risk with our behavior. The drive to this guy's house was nothing to write home about. When I arrived, I was introduced to who I would call Liam and his friend Daniel. After I was acquainted with Carly's new friends, we set off into their basement to the designated smoke room to hang out. It wasn't a very big room, no bigger than a decently sized ensuite bathroom. It spotted a TV setup, coffee table, and couch. The only other available seating was a bunch of pillows and blankets inside the closet adjacent to the couch. After smoking some more, Carly and I chose to sit inside the closet on top of the cushioning. There wasn't a lot of room, but 
we didn't mind being pressed together in a small space. I don't remember what the events or conversation was leading up to this moment, but in a split second, the whole vibe changed. Liam leaned over the armrest of the couch so his body faced us. Since we were sitting practically on the floor from our point of view, we were staring up at him. Do you know that I could jump off this couch and start strangling you right now if I wanted to? He said this with beady eyes darting from the both of us. This is when my heart started racing and my body froze. Carly was unfazed. She took it as a challenge and laughed in his face. Liam reached behind to grab a long piece of material that I soon identified as a shoelace. You think this is a joke? He taunted. I'll wrap this around your pretty little necks. Again, Carly laughed, oblivious to the seriousness in his demeanor, thinking he was just playing a prank. He looked at me. Do I scare you? While cocking his head slightly, I didn't respond. I stared through him while my heart raced. You know, if I wanted to, I could end you right now. I could do it. If I really wanted to, I could. Then something in him changed. He was back to the pleasant guy he was when I'd first met him. He plopped himself back into his seat and chatted idly with his friend Daniel. I had enough. I wanted to go. I wanted to leave then and there. I texted Carly who brushed me off and said we should stay a little longer. She was having fun, she said. I excused myself to the bathroom where I began to have a full-blown panic attack. At this point it was 1am. I was somewhere I'd never been before and an hour's drive to my house. I called my friend who answered promptly. At this point I was trying to hush my hysterical cries on the phone. I relayed the situation to my friend and how this guy I didn't know was threatening us. How I knew he wasn't joking, but how Carly was playing it off as he was. After a few moments I had calmed down and my friend offered to drive the hour to come get me. I declined as while on the phone with him Carly texted me saying how she was gathering her stuff and that we would leave. I got off the phone with my friend and calmed myself down further before leaving the upstairs bathroom. Standing in the middle of the dark kitchen was Liam. I nearly jumped out of my skin when I heard his voice. Are you okay? You seem upset. I didn't answer. I rushed past him downstairs to collect my things and Carly. We didn't speak about what happened on the way home. I didn't bring it up because we experienced it from two completely different perspectives. I didn't mention it earlier, but... Liam was some guy she had met on a dating website Plenty of Fish. She was infatuated with this guy, so it clouded her judgment of what a piece of work he was. Much later on after this night, Liam was arrested. It was discovered by medical professionals after he was released that he suffered from a plethora of previously undiagnosed mental health issues. Out of respect for his privacy, I won't detail what they were. I will say that they were most definitely the root of his behavior. The last time that I had heard about him, he had been placed on antipsychotic medication. I hope that man continues to get the help he deserves, especially before he harms himself or anyone else for that matter. At the time of the story, I was around 3 or 4 years old. I'm 18 now. I'm a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl and I've always liked to think of myself as a pretty nice person. A little backstory to my situation. I was living with my mom, grandma, and aunt in a duplex located in a fairly large city. Believe it or not, the city that I did happen to live in didn't have a whole lot of creepy people, or my family was just very good at keeping me from that side of the world. 
My mom had recently gotten out of an abusive relationship with this guy who happened to be my dad and we were going through a pretty rough patch. A few more months passed and it was Christmas time. On this particular day, my mom and I were at the store buying some groceries. It was a completely normal trip. That was until we got to the end of it. We stood in line to check out and some lady was on her way in when she noticed me and abruptly approached. She was probably in her late 30s, early 40s with long brown hair that reached to about the middle of her back. She was a little shorter than my mom. She is 5'10 and was pretty skinny. She smiled and I assumed it was supposed to be warming but it was far from it. She said hello in a semi-friendly tone. I smiled back and said hello trying to be polite. I tried to scoot closer to my mom but there was a carton between us. This woman then started asking me questions such as, how old are you? Is that your mom? Part of me found no harm in answering her questions and the other part of me was hoping if I gave her what she wanted she would leave us alone. I told her what she wanted to know and she continued to get closer and closer with every minute. She then asked me if I had seen Santa yet. My youthful eyes grew wide and my heart raced, excitement getting the better of me. I told her I hadn't and asked where he was. She explained that he was in the back of the store and that she could take me to him. Before she could get another word in, I turned to my mom and asked her loudly if I could go with this person to go see Santa. She looked at me confused and then realized the woman standing there and you could see her mama bear attitude start to kick in. She smiled, obviously annoyed at this person standing uncomfortably close to her kid. She then started talking directly to the stranger letting her know that we were going to the mall soon to take pictures with him anyway and that she appreciates the offer but it wouldn't be necessary. She quickly paid for our food and started to push the cart out from between me and her. The woman then insisted it was no big deal and that she would bring me back as soon as I got to see him. She then proceeded to grab my arm lightly and tug me in one way. My mom became horrified as she rushed to my side and lifted me into the cart and insisted we didn't need her help. The woman then had the audacity to tell my mom to suit herself in an annoyed tone and turn on a heel out of the store not shopping at all. She never had a cart or handheld basket. I have since moved from that city and moved out to be on my own and have luckily never seen this woman again and have been lucky enough not to run into any more situations like this. I think back to this scenario every once in a while and think of what would have happened had I not asked my mom to go with this stranger or if she had grabbed my arm more forcefully and pulled me away without caring what kind of attention she might get. I'm glad the situation played out how it did though. I know this is long overdue and I have never really thought to have a reason to say this until now, but creepy lady in the store, no, I don't want to meet Santa. Before I begin, I'd just like to say that I'm a normal 19-year-old guy with no history of mental illness or drug usage. Those facts will be important later. A few months ago, I had my first real unexplainable experience late at night. I was sleeping in the living room of my grandmother's house due to the lack of bedrooms, and for the most part, the night seemed normal. I just stayed up until about 11 at night and decided I should get to sleep before work in the morning. I woke up at about 3am or some ungodly hour in the early morning to an eerie feeling that someone may be watching me. Soon after, I heard a kind of gentle scraping. This only became more terrifying because situated behind me was a large glass door out of my line of sight. I didn't move because I almost didn't want to see what was giving me the paranoid feeling 
what could be peering inside at me making that noise. Like a kid hiding under the covers, I just tried to go back to sleep, but feeling so uncomfortably scared I couldn't. It took all of my willpower to try and keep my eyes closed as I knew if I had opened them, whatever was there would know that I wasn't asleep. Eventually, I couldn't resist looking out the large glass window, so I shifted my body on one side so that I could very narrowly open my eyes to peek at what made that noise outside. Still, it sounded as if though someone was shuffling their feet on the back porch outside the door, but terror set in as I didn't know if the door was actually locked. Slowly, I opened my eyes ever so slightly to see something that I know I wasn't supposed to see. Right outside the door, standing maybe six feet tall, was a black figure in a long, cloak sort of outfit. It was not human, but it seemed to be human-like. His eyes were so big and black that I was almost stunned. He was raising his hand and scraping what looked like long, thin fingers down the glass, up and down, over and over so slowly. I was in a state of complete panic. Should I scream? Should I run? Or should I just lay there where I was hoping that this was all some horrible dream? That last thought somehow claimed me a bit. This couldn't be real as I had been asleep and this seems a very rational explanation. However, my brain began to realize that I was in the exact same room I had fallen asleep in and there was no way that this was just a dream. My horror returned in waves as I knew that he was still there and the door may be locked for him to enter as soon as he grabs the door handle. I knew I had to take it upon myself to lock the door and I had to do it quick because any moment it could get inside. My adrenaline kicked in full force as I threw my covers aside, jumping off the couch and starting a mad dash towards the door. As I got up, it saw me and made a horrible scream. It didn't stop my efforts and I continued towards the door as fast as I could. I fumbled with the lock and was able to engage it quickly. Slowly, I lifted my gaze from the handle through the door into the face of what had caused me all this terror. It stood there, motionless. Its hands had stopped the constant scraping on the glass. It just stared back at me as I felt helpless and paralyzed. After a moment, it began to walk away from the door into the field behind our house. I watched it go until it was out of sight, never leaving my post at the door. Hours later, I went back to the couch and passed out, still writhed with fear. In the morning, I told no one from fear of them not believing me. I wasn't ready to accept the fact that either I was crazy or I had experienced something that no one would ever believe or understand. A few days later, I had tried my best to push whatever it was out of my mind. I had resumed my normal activities and as I drove home from my night classes at about 10pm, I felt as if though I had finally moved past it. I drove down a long stretch of road only dimly lit by gas stations and truck stops. I noticed a figure in between the illuminated signs and empty buildings. It stood there. It watched my car approach, and it followed my car with its head until I was far down the road and out of sight. It didn't move. It just watched and it knew that it was me. A few months have passed and I haven't had any more experiences but I am always very cautious as it may be watching me again. So my fiancé moved in with me at my parents' house about a month ago and we both noticed some weird things that have been happening primarily to us. I've always had weird things happen to me, especially after we moved two years ago, but 
It all seems to have gotten worse when we moved in. The first thing I've noticed is small injuries on me and him. I've woken up with small cuts on my hand and wrist over the last few weeks, and then suddenly a large scratch down my leg. As for him, he has woken up with a bruise on his forehead that looked almost like a thumbprint. We don't have anything near or in our bed that could cause these minor injuries, and it's just weird. The really scary thing that happened, though, was that the other night when he was sleeping, he started talking and pointing to something in the corner of my room. I woke up and looked over and saw a dark shadow for a few seconds, and then it was gone. He had been speaking panic gibberish for the entire thing until suddenly he very clearly says, She's spinning. I was really freaked out by then and asked him to repeat himself. He said, Yeah, she's over there spinning, and then promptly went back to bed leaving me alone to panic. Before he moved in, at least three people including myself have all heard a woman outside my hall to me in my sister's rooms talking and crying. We've heard it all around the same time in the same nights. My mom's boyfriend even asked me who I was talking to that night since he assumed it was one of us. I only mention this because my fiancé had talked about a woman spinning in our room. I just don't know what to do. I'm not bothered too much by strange sights and sounds, but when it starts getting slightly physical is when I start to become worried. I've dealt with hauntings most of my life and a lot of strange occurrences I try to debunk, but I don't have an explanation for these ones. So this happened while I worked at a daycare. I was a full-time three-year-old teacher. I had seven kids in the class. They were touch and go with listening and following my directions, but I'm so grateful that on this day, they listened. So each room had outside time. There was the blue room, which had two teachers. The red room, the room I worked in, had three. Yellow room had two teachers, and green room had two. When each room went outside, they had another teacher to help with the kids, but I didn't. I was always on my own with my seven kids. Being outside alone on the playground with seven stir-crazy three-year-olds never made me nervous or uneasy, but today, the church that was connected to the daycare was having a garage sale, so the parking lot was full of cars. The playground was about 150 yards away from the church and daycare entrance. The daycare had no way to see the playground since it was behind the building. So we had walkie-talkies, and as you may have guessed, the walkie-talkies didn't always reach the building so clear. Anyway, while we were out playing, a car had entered. I thought nothing of it, but it drove by the playground, which was fenced in and locked. I had the keys, and backed around the lot of cars to the entrance. Without stopping, they drove back around to the playground and slowed, passing by us. I thought it was possibly apparent, but they know to clock their child out at the front desk. They drove around again, and this time stopped completely in front of the playground. The windows were tinted, so I couldn't see who it was. The kids were oblivious to this, and I started to become uncomfortable. They drove around again, and as they were driving around, I radioed to the office. Hey, Ashley, there's a maroon SUV driving around the parking lot. They've driven in circles at least four times and keep stopping in front of the playground. I waited a while and got back static. By this time, they had driven back around, and a passenger got out and just stood by the SUV. I quickly yelled, Friends, let's come over here, and ushered them to the furthest corner of the playground. I frantically radioed again, still static. The kids were asking questions. Finally, the driver got out and yelled, How many kids you got over there? 
Need any help playing with them? The driver was dressed in dirty jeans and a torn shirt. The passenger dressed the same way, stepped closer to the fence. The kids were asking who they were. I told them to stay put. With all my strength, I walked over to them. They smiled slyly and the driver said, Well, you're a pretty tall drink of water. There's room for you and the kids in the back of the car. My stomach dropped and my mouth dried up. Somehow, in the sternest voice I could manage, I looked the driver straight in the eyes and said, If you touch my kids, I'll kill you. They laughed, but I kept their gaze and said, Try me. I slowly raised the radio to my mouth. Holding their gaze, I said, Call 911 right now. To their and my surprise, the director came back. We're dialing them, what's happening? Before I could reply back, they ran to their car and peeled out, but not before I got their make, model, and plate number. Immediately after I saw them leave the parking lot, I yelled at my kids to run with me to the entrance. As soon as we had walked through the doors, the director and some staff were waiting for us. I burst into tears and hugged my kids close to me. The cops came and I gave them a statement, but never heard anything from them. I've since then left the daycare, but I will always be grateful that the kids put their listening ears on that day. I moved in with my girlfriend two years ago. She is a widower. I am divorced. Her husband passed due to a self-induced insulin coma. Since we dated and after I moved in, she had told me that she hears her name being called when in the bedroom closet. I have seen a shadowy figure walk across the living room. I asked if it was her since I was at the kitchen table and she was doing crunches in the living room. I couldn't see her until she stood up and said she hadn't walked across the room. The worst thing that happened so far was early on a Saturday morning. I had set my alarm for 5.30am. Just before the alarm went off, I woke up suddenly and my girlfriend was not in bed and the shower was running. As soon as I realized where she was, the bathroom mirror hit the floor. That mirror was framed like a picture and hung on a wire like a picture. I ran into the bathroom and she was looking out of the shower. She was clearly not fully awake and looked very confused. She said a voice told her to get in the shower and she doesn't remember anything until the mirror crashed. The mirror didn't land face down or disturb the bottles on the counter. The way the hook tore out of the wall was up like it had been grabbed and yanked. The mirror was laying glass side up halfway between the sink basin and the shower. There was either a real or imagined presence in the bathroom and closet area of the house and she works from home. She is reported hearing things and sometimes seeing a figure at different places around the house. This happened to me the first time about four years ago and has since happened two other times. I think about it often, so I decided maybe by talking about it here I can let it out of my mind. Near where I live in California, there's a woodsy road that runs parallel to the freeway and it's normally less crowded, so it's been my choice of road for this direction for years. One night, I was leaving work pretty late and took that road home like I normally do every day. This was the latest I'd ever been on this road, around 1am. I was driving like normal with all the windows down on this warm summer night with my music up pretty loud, just decompressing from the day. Towards the end of the road, there's a memorial for a couple who had died on that road, and it's been years, so I'm used to seeing it. This night... 
I passed it like any other time, but this time, everything got slow. Like I wasn't in real time anymore. I don't even remember hearing my music anymore, even though the volume hadn't changed. I focused on the road in front of me and I could see a cloudy mist, like low fog, and as I drove through it, I felt like electricity was going through all my body, like my teeth had electrical currents going through them. As soon as I passed through it, everything went back into real time again and I felt a wave of horrible sadness and fear come over me, like my own emotions weren't my own. This whole experience lasted probably two minutes, but it felt like twenty. I kept driving. I wanted to pull over and collect myself, but I also wanted to get off that road. As soon as the road had ended onto the main boulevard, I felt so much better, but incredibly creeped out by what had just happened. I stopped taking that road until about a year later. I had forgotten the whole thing by this time and ended up on that road again with my mom after leaving a late dinner, and it happened again. This time she felt it too, and I felt it again. The memories my experience flashed back to me as soon as I had saw that low fog again up ahead. That horrible, sad, and electrical feeling surged through my body again. My mom said she felt the same thing. My feeling is that the couple who died on that road are not at rest and seem to stay near their crash site, or maybe it's residual energy from the impact of the crash. I've been wanting to go back to that area now that it's summertime again. It's only ever happened to me during summer, but I'm afraid to since it's a full body experience that makes me really tired afterwards. Has anyone else ever had an experience like this? I got on the bus as I did every day to go to work that morning. I was smiling because I had just read something funny before the bus had arrived, and I was thinking about it. Beware of consuming Terry Pratchett books in public. As I looked for an empty seat, I accidentally broke the cardinal rule of British public transportation and met the eye of a fellow passenger. He was an older, sweet-looking, grandfatherly Asian man, probably in his mid-fifties. He brightened up and smiled at me, and I realized, oh crap, now he thinks I'm smiling at him. Uh, oh well. And nodded to him as I made my way to a seat a few rows behind him. Just a random, polite, inconsequential exchange, right? The next day he was on the bus again when I caught it, and patted the empty spot next to him when I got on. I shook my head and went to another empty seat, and after the bus was moving, he got up, and to my horror, came and sat next to me. After a few minutes, he leaned in and whispered, You smile so beautiful, like an angel. You should be with the angels. And then he patted my knee kindly. Every day he was on the bus. I tried varying times as much as I could considering I was going to work, but he was always there. I would just stand by the front even if there were seats, and the first note was pushed through my letterbox. You were watching television with your mother, your good daughter. I am right, like an angel. I found footprints in the flower bed under the living room window. From then on we drew the curtains. The notes kept coming over a period of about three months and gradually got worse. An angel should fly to heaven. You're too good for us. I will make wings for you. You will smile down on me forever. I went to the police and they told me that yes, it all sounded pretty bad, but there was nothing they could do because he'd done nothing physically violent to me. 
When he attacks you, they said, call us. A week later, I opened the door to go to work, and there was a dead white dove on its back with its wings spread on my front doorstep. And another note. I will give you friends for heaven first. An angel will need messengers. I looked down at the poor dead bird and realized then this wasn't going to stop, and no one would help me. I took the next day off of work, somehow found a new place to move into the next day and hired a moving truck. I think fear overpowered me that whole night. I drew the curtains and despite my mother's protests, she was an end-stage cancer and I cared for her. She lived with me as a result. Somehow, I packed the entire house up, including my mom and her cat. I didn't sleep and honestly don't entirely remember that night, but by 9am when the truck rolled up, everything was ready to get carried out. I had the truck drive us almost 100 miles out of the city and then take a scenic route back to the other side of town. We were in our new place that night. That night I sat on the stairs and watched the letterbox. I fell asleep there and when I woke up in the morning I cried. There was no note on the mat. I caught the bus into work and to the horror of all the other passengers I ugly cried. He wasn't there. I never saw him again, but I was on edge till I eventually moved out of the country a few years later, and I haven't gotten on a bus since. About two years ago when I was a freshman in college, I decided to go out on a date with a guy I'd met in my engineering class. He was about six and a half feet tall and used to play football. His presence, accompanied by the fact that I was always used to living in a very safe neighborhood growing up, made me confident enough to go out late at night. We went to Olive Garden that night and had a great time. When we finished dinner, it was about midnight and we had to take public transportation to get to the parking lot his car was parked at. He commuted to school and would get his car in the evening. The area wasn't too bad, so I never really expected what came next. While on the train, we noticed that there were very few people not surprising considering the hour. There was a questionable male sitting in the back of the last car and a few casual others situated more throughout the front one, maybe six of us in the train in total. Paying no mind to the man in the background, James and I elected to sit in the front of the back car. Everything was perfectly fine until the strange man decided to approach us. Thankfully, I ended up on the window side while James took the aisle, but I will never forget what I saw. As someone who was blessed with financial prosperity my whole life, I'd never really seen up close what poverty and poor choices could do to someone. The strange man had layers upon layers of jackets and pants that sagged uncomfortably low. His face looked horrible. He had dark circles and gaunt features that made him look emaciated. His eyes were incredibly bloodshot and looked as if though they'd pop out of his skull at any moment. Then there were his teeth, rotten and occasionally missing. I quickly turned away, not wanting to engage. He never said anything to us, thankfully, but he did march down the aisle and stop at the row of seats James and I were sitting at only to rummage around in his pants. I'm not really sure what he was doing, and I don't think I want to know. Anyways, the man then returned to his seat in the back, seemingly uninterested at that point. My date and I were beginning to feel pretty uncomfortable, so we got up and decided to move to the front of the car where the more normal people seemed to be. Apparently that wasn't okay because the man immediately noticed us and followed us to the front. At this point, I was squeezing James's arm, silently warning him of what was happening. There wasn't much either of us could do though. 
so we just sat there with the other passengers and waited for our stop, which was at the end of the line. When the doors opened, James and I considered getting up, but all of us were frozen. This strange man refused to get off the train despite standing closer to the doors. Instead of leaving, he turned to all of us abruptly and came close to each of us staring us dead in the eye with an intensity that I can only describe as demonic. Minutes passed. It was as if he was looking for a sign of fear in each of us. When none of us budged and kept our cool, he finally exited the train. Everyone let out a sigh of relief and hopped off. The man was nowhere in sight. What an odd guy, I thought. Thinking that everything was fine, James and I headed to his car which happened to be at the back of the lot. We jogged because we didn't want to be out with that creep any longer than necessary and that proved to be wise when the dude came out of nowhere moments later and decided to give chase. James and I then sprinted as fast as we could across the dark parking lot and that would have been fine if I hadn't, you guessed it, tripped. To get to James's car in the most direct way possible, James and I had to hop over the cement areas with plants that separate the sections of the lot. As a tall guy with a huge stride, he had no problem. As just over a five-foot person in flip-flops, I managed, but I didn't expect there to be a stone block, those ones that stop you from driving too far forward as well. My right foot landed on the stone block. I felt a sharp pain and fell to the ground, rolling a few times across the uneven, scratchy pavement. Fairly disoriented, I wobbled to my feet and called out to James who was still sprinting on ahead. Realizing I'd fallen behind and was injured, he rushed back and helped me jog to the car. And while all this was happening, the crazy guy was snapping at our heels. We somehow got to his car in time and locked the doors and I'm glad we did because that deterred him enough to give up the chase. When I examined my injuries, it seemed that I'd sprained my ankle and ripped off multiple chunks of flesh from both knees. My lower legs were covered in blood and I thought I was about to go to the hospital but I figured it wasn't life-threatening enough to do so. Parent had just retired so my health coverages was all over the place. James drove me back to campus and helped me hobble to my dorm where I went to the shower to address my wounds. Campus health center wasn't open that late. I then took a couple of pills of Tylenol since I'm allergic to ibuprofen and proceeded to pick bits of rock and glass out of my knee with the manicure scissors and tweezers I had available. Needless to say, I didn't get much sleep that night. In the morning, I went to the health center and got properly treated. I was in a wheelchair for quite a while after that and continued to bleed through my bandages even weeks later. Who knows what the motivation was, and thankfully I never saw him again, because that creepy guy on the train was clearly out of his mind. I've had a lot of strange jobs, but one of the most interesting was working for a tax company based out of Texas. I lived in Kentucky, my home state at the time, but because this company contracted out jobs remotely, I was able to make a very good living for performing tasks which were generally very simple. I had a work partner, but not all the time, and our duty was to travel all over the eastern and central part of the state to county courthouse PVA offices. You might not have those, it's a small town thing and researched delinquent property taxes. We were then required to compile a list of properties who had delinquent taxes and submit it to our boss. She was our primary contact in Texas. This part is important because it was the only reason we would sometimes have to deal with hostile people. 
and the company would then buy the taxes if the property tickled their fancy, and a letter was issued to the owner of the property stating that a certain amount of time to repay the amount. I'm not sure what would happen after that since that part wasn't my job, but I do know that people immediately assumed, because of lack of knowledge or understanding the laws, this company was going to take their property and throw them out into the streets. Before the company brought the taxes, however, they would send us back a list of the ones they were interested in, and we would then go out to the locations, photograph the property, and then submit all the photos to our Texas contact. This is where things got interesting. It was like the property owners had some kind of psychic intuition about us. They had no idea who we were, or when we were coming, since we worked almost on our own schedule. They didn't know what kind of color of car we would be in, yet somehow, they would frequently burst out their front doors as we pulled up to shoot photos of the location. This made for some interesting and often frightening confrontations. After getting comfortable with the job, I even came up with a convincing story to tell angry property owners when they chased us down with their car. We're from the County Property Valuation Administration. We're just updating our property files and needed a current photo. This would de-escalate the situation and they apologized for threatening our lives and sometimes running us off the road to make us pull over. I have a lot of stories from this job, but here's the best one. We were deep in the hills of eastern Kentucky one day, searching desperately for a single wide trailer from our list. We found a hauler matching our directions. This is way before the GPS days. We had to use real county maps, believe it or not, and took a chance. As we drove up the hauler, houses began to spread out farther and farther, and soon we were totally isolated. Nothing but trees and a narrow gravel road. Suddenly, we spotted the trailer. It didn't look like anything it did in the PVA picture. Time had taken a real toll on this place. Some of you might understand this depending on where you're from, but around my home state, one grows very accustomed to the look and feel of a potential location for drug manufacturing. I know, that might not make sense, but trust me, we knew immediately that this place was a prime location for a meth lab. We did spot the trailer until we had driven a little ways past it, so we didn't get a great photo on the way in. As usual, we decided to drive on by, turn around, and get the shot on the way back. Apparently, someone saw us on the way in. This was a very rural road, and not even a road at this point since it had turned to gravel a mile or two back. I basically had to turn the car by pulling onto an embankment and doing what felt like a 32-point turn to keep from going off into a ditch. While I was turning, my buddy said, Hey, look. I looked, and three people were walking out of the woods into the road. Just people, no big deal. I had the car straightened out in the road at this point and noticed they had weapons. A young, nasty-looking fellow was holding a baseball bat, of all things. A nasty-looking older fellow had a shovel, both were shirtless, and then there was a screaming girl. Something clicked in my head. On the drive-in, when the partner snapped the photo, I heard a girl scream. It was an angry scream, but I couldn't make out what was said. I didn't even know where it came from, and I certainly didn't think the scream was directed at us. Apparently it was. These people were now walking with intention toward my stopped car. I kept thinking, is this really happening? And what exactly is happening? My partner was freaking out a little and convinced they were going to attack us. It's hard to explain what was going through my head at this point because I couldn't really believe what I was seeing. The only thing I could think was, hit him with the car, just like on Grand Theft Auto. Otherwise, you're going to die. 
They were screaming, shaking their weapons, and closing in, and I was running out of time. I revved the tiny engine in my red Pontiac Grand Prix, hoping to scare them, and then I left off the gas. I plowed toward them with the fury of all six cylinders, or four, however many there were, I don't remember. They jumped out of the way last minute as I grazed by them, throwing gravel and dirt. Once we were at a safe distance, I slowed down and looked back. Luckily, they were gone. Unluckily, we were once again too far from the trailer to get a good photo. I explained this to my boss when I emailed her day's collection of property photos and she seemed to understand. After that, I kept a loaded 45 in my glove box and I felt significantly more confident while doing my job. I quit a couple of years later though. It was just too dangerous, even if I was packing heat. So, to the hillbilly meth making counterparts of Otis Baby and Captain Spaulding, I hope I never see you again. This happened last year during October. To give a bit of context, this story implicates myself and my two best friends, Andrew and Marion. All three of us are males, 18 years of age. All three of us are classmates. Now at the start of the week, Andrew kept bothering me and Marion about going to a certain party outside of our city, in the town where he lives. Andrew said some guy was throwing a party and that he had bought a lot of food and alcohol and other experimental things and there would be no need for us to bring anything. It sounded great. Both me and Marion asked who the dude was, and Andrew said it was someone he knew and the situation seemed fine. Next issue would be transportation to said town, but Andrew also assured us that the guy would come pick us up in his car and then deliver us back the next day. Friday rolls around, the day we were supposed to leave, and both me and Marion had partied hard the night before, having slept something like three hours. The dude who came to pick us up was apparently a religion teacher in the town Andrew grew up and about whom he had told us a lot of shady stuff. The dude seemed to be in his mid-thirties but was apparently older, which will make sense later. What we knew about him was that he usually did crazy stuff with a lot of young people, like parties and alcohol and stuff, but it just seemed like this guy was trying to relive his youth, so we went along with it. After we all were in his car, he said that if we guessed his age, he'd buy us even more stuff. After a couple more guesses, me and Marion failed to find out his age. Andrew, even though he knew, did not want to tell us. It seemed like a fun game. Then the dude drove us to some place to apparently buy even more stuff. Okay, weird, but not out of place. We ended up on the road. The trip was supposed to be like a couple of hours drive away from the city, but this guy was insane. He sped all the way to there, overtook people on the right, drove on the left lane just so he could scream while seeing the other cars coming straight ahead. It was quite a ride and both me and Marion were crapping ourselves wondering if we were ever going to make it to the party. Andrew was somehow not really phased by all of this since he knew the guy and apparently this is what he did. What we kept wondering was where does this dude get money from to buy a couple of young boys alcohol and substances and food. The story seemed like a modern version of candy in a white van so... I, from the moment I realized it was the shady teacher Andrew kept telling us stories about, kept watch on him. Marion, even though he shared my concerns at first, started thinking we got the wrong picture and the dude was just really trying to have fun and be young again. During our bumpy ride, I questioned his driving skills at one point. 
He then proudly pulled up his wallet while driving and gave me his driver's license to prove that he is certified to drive almost every type of vehicle. At that point, I caught a glimpse of his birthday, written on the license, 1975. This guy was 42 years old. Okay, not really weird, but why would he try to hide his age? He had finally gotten to his house and then he gave us some pizzas that he had bought earlier. I was a bit cautious since he might have put something in the food, but since he ate from the same pizza, I did and laid low. When I mentioned that I now knew that he was 42, he was visibly disturbed and kept trying to argue that he does look a lot younger. None of us said he looked old, just that we know he is 42. Then he shows us all the alcohol that he had bought for us. His fridge contained the following. The night was really long, so I may not remember everything I saw, but the point is he had a tremendous amount of alcohol. There was around two or three dozen beers, four bottles of wine, a 1.5 liter bottle of Jack Daniels and a bunch of other whiskeys and bottles of spirits laying around his kitchen. This was weird since we were there for smoking mostly and we weren't planning on drinking a lot but he was very keen on us drinking something before we smoked. The plan was that after we arrived and grabbed a bite to eat, he would go pick up one of our classmates, a female and her brother who was a little bit older than us from a nearby village. They were there visiting their grandparents and we thought it'd be nice for them to join the party. He kept telling us to drink and then wanted us to stay for a little while before going to pick them up. Then he wanted to not fetch them and kept saying, We'll have fun on our own. Why do we need a girl around here? This was a bit weird, but after a bit of convincing, he left. During this time, I was on high alert, but nothing super weird had happened yet. Sure, the whole experience seemed out of place, but heck, we were young. All three of us decided that it was either going to be a crap show and something bad will happen, or we'll just have the night of our lives. Before he left, he said he wanted to give us a tour of the house. It was an old, traditionally decorated house. I live in Romania. As we went through all the rooms, I wanted to check for creepy things or out-of-place doors. In the last room, there was a small door on the wall, and I asked him about it. He just kindly showed me it was a small storage room with barrels of local alcoholic drink. It has about 80% alcohol. When he came back... After about half an hour, we had already drank a few beers. We were quite happy. He kept trying to make us down glasses of coke and whiskey and he proposed that if Marion downs his glass, he will down one himself. After a while, I noticed that he kept saying to himself that he shouldn't have drank that much alcohol, but in an unusually angry tone. He seemed to be highly displeased at the fact that he was tipsy. The party kept going on and then he brought out the smokes. There was so much of it. The three of us usually smoke smaller amounts, but we decided to roll up some fatties. We smoked, and I went straight into the skies. During this time, I only noticed him puffing once or twice. This was a bit weird, but I brushed it off. I was having quite the enjoyable trip. He pulled his phone up and started recording us. That was weird. He wanted to record us while being out of our minds for his Snapchat account. He appears to have a Snapchat, and weird for someone his age, but... Okay, whatever he tries to keep up with the trends. The only question I was having was, why would he post this on his story since people his age or work-related contacts may see him smoking with a bunch of high schoolers, which doesn't look too good to people? Or who would he want to send it to? Anyway, what really started being weird was that he kept trying to force Andrew and Marion to hit the last one with him more. He kept taking it and pushing it towards them. It didn't seem at all like a friendly gesture, but rather a command or him forcing it on them. Whatever. 
Andrew got up and after a short while, just sat in the kitchen with his head on the table. He was out. He never tried to approach me though, and I think it was because he felt I was being cautious of him and had an eye on him. For a while, after smoking, I stopped caring, but as the trip wore off, I started to notice really weird behaviors. This guy apparently also owns a gym. Again, no idea where he had the money from since he was technically a religion teacher in school, but he kept proposing to Andrew and Marion that they go hit the gym at 3 in the morning since he owns it and he's going to open it just for them. Both my friends are pretty buff and hit the gym often, so it seemed like a cool idea at first, to them. I knew his gym and was quite a drive from here, and I could also remember Andrew telling me that the gym was an abandoned building. He had been there before. Since Andrew himself was out cold on the kitchen table, the creepy guy kept proposing that only him and Marion go. Now that was the first time I stepped up my protective attitude and made a plan. I wasn't going to let the two of them go alone. We moved Andrew to a bed and then just sat around chatting with music in the background. One particular thing we noticed is that on several occasions he kept asking Marion if he had any cell signal, which he did. And here's where things got super creepy. Not only did he start mildly touching Marion's shoulder and stuff like that while saying that he looks a lot better than Andrew. At first, we thought it was just gym talk, like dudes always get from other dudes that hit the gym. The sort of, nice pecs bro, but it was just really creepy. Then he started looking at our classmate and kept saying that he'd love to cut her beautiful hair off with a pair of scissors. Then we'd force laugh and move on to different topics, and then he'd bring this stuff up again. At that moment, everyone in the room knew something was really not cool. When we asked him casually about how he has so much money, he said that he usually had to fly down to London every week, but he'd only stay there for a short while. Maybe he owns Ladies of the Nights or Little Boys, and then he'd laugh. Now, he kept telling jokes all night about how he had money, like how he was a janitor at the House of Parliament or some other stuff, but this seemed a bit too real, especially since his eyes had this weird glint to them when he mentioned the boys. Now, our classmate's bigger brother, who didn't drink nearly as much as we did, suggested the guy drive them back home. Again, he took a lot of convincing and now kept trying to make them stay. With all of this going on, he kept playing jokes on Marion about how I'm going to sleep with Andrew in the bed and how they were going to be together under the same blanket. Just a lot of really creepy stuff. Once, while Marion was sitting down, he grabbed his wrist and kept saying, Yes, Marion, yes. Nice biceps. One thing Andrew told us was that he was gay, as a slight joke. The dude then played the whole card of, Oh, well, do you actually believe him? Andrew's just making up stuff, and what not. While we were driving there, Andrew said, I thought you were either gay or just really generous with people. I think I reached the conclusion that you were just really generous. Marion actually believed this as well, and we just thought the guy was weird, not gay. But after all of the things that happened in that hour or so, Marion asked, since he was a little out of his mind, Dude, what is the matter with you? Are you gay or something? Then the guy went weird and started to rage, screaming no. Stop believing the lies Andrew told you, of course I'm not. He went into this weird state like he was half talking to himself, half angrily shouting. He also at some point grabbed Marion by the neck, joking about how he is displeased by him not wanting to come to the gym with him at 3 in the morning. Marion was starting to freak out. He understood now, like I had suspected all night, this guy was clearly one, not in his right mind, and two, definitely gay and even, maybe, trying to hit on younger kids. 
Shortly after grabbing Marion and trying to convince him to go to the gym, he left to deliver our classmate and his brother. The moment he left, Marion started freaking out. He wanted me to go wake up Andrew so that we three could sleep in the same bed and the dude would sleep alone. There were two double beds. Tried to slap and pour water on his face. Andrew was not going to wake up. I went to the kitchen, brought a knife and gave it to Marion. I told him to keep it under his end of the bed. He slept against the wall and I had an empty beer bottle near my end for a quick grab. We considered calling the police but the creepy teacher didn't exactly do anything the police could arrest him on. It was the middle of the night and we were on the outskirts of town at a really long drive away from our city. No chance of us catching a way out of there. None of us had a driver's license or friends to call and pick us up at that hour. So I propose we play it cool with the guy once he comes back. If he tries anything, there was at least two of us three if Andrew would wake up, and there was no actual weapon in the house, not even a bat or something. Our plan was that, if at any time during the night we hear the guy try anything on Andrew, we would knock him out, and then time with my belt, and then call the police. He came back, and after a short talk, he went to bed. He left the light open in the kitchen, so our room had a bit of light. Having figured out why he did that, we didn't ask him to do it, his room was right next to ours and there was no hallway or door between them, just a doorway. The bathroom was also in his room but right next to the doorway. Both me and Marion were now freaking out. This is around 4am. We had to stay awake the whole night. My best friend was high as a kite and scared. My adrenaline was pumping so hard I barely felt it but it was definitely in my system together with the alcohol. The guy genuinely went to sleep but we tried to stay awake all night. My phone was on the table next to the bed, dead, but charging, so we kept writing in a note filed in his phone and passing it from one another to communicate. We knew that if we tried even the slightest whisper, he'd wake up or hear us. Marion would write something, then he'd pass the phone on to me and then he'd fall asleep for the 30 seconds I'd write, and then he'd wake up and write a response. We did this for a while. Then we heard the guy get up and go to the bathroom. The very second we heard movement, Marion was clutching the knife and I had my hand on my bottle ready to go at him. This happened about four times from 4am up till 6.30. It's a weird amount of times to go to the bathroom since we drank a lot so he should be dehydrated but he's 42. He also kept drinking water every time he woke up. He could hear him gulping it. Then at 6.30, we somehow fell asleep. It was the most disturbing and scary sleep I've ever had. Then I felt Marion jabbing me in the ribs. It felt like I was at home and I just dreamed all of that, but who was jabbing my ribs? Then I jumped up. I had my hand on the bottle and there was this dark figure standing at the end of the bed. Both me and Marion froze. Then we realized it was Andrew. It was so scary, but then we felt incredibly good because it wasn't that creepy. He had told us when he had brought us to this house that he had to be somewhere in town around 9am the next day so he will probably wake up early, leave, and then wake us up when he returned. That's why me and Marion crapped our pants thinking it was the guy who had woken up. It was actually something like 7.45am when Andrew woke us up. We had fallen asleep for about an hour, then time just passed. We sat around. Me and Marion had no clue how to tell Andrew what happened. The guy was still in the house. He woke up and acted supernatural like nothing had happened. And to be fair, nothing major happened but... His behavior definitely scared the crap out of us. Who wants to grab boys and then tells a girl he met a couple of hours ago that he'd love to drive his scissors through her beautiful hair? Oh my god. 
That sounds like a thing that a psycho in a cheap horror movie would say. After the guy left around 8.30, we told Andrew everything. He was laughing at first, but then we realized this was big. It was really something that we had no idea what to do about. We were again stranded and the only ticket home were either our parents or this guy. We decided we were going to look at his house and if we find anything really alarming or something we could call the police on, we'd do so. Not a lot later into the search, I found a peculiar envelope in a cupboard filled with books. It was some sort of official document and it had the name of UK Official Border Customs. It was tore open so I pulled out a bunch of papers. After reading for a while, I found out that apparently he was caught smuggling 12,000 cigarettes out of the UK. Okay, that's weird, but the next thing blew my mind and I knew that the guy had to be insane. I kept noticing a small closet in the corner of the room we were chilling in and I kept wondering all night why it was there. While he was gone off running his errands in town, I went ahead and opened it. On the side of the closet door, I found this. It was a plastic envelope filled with random cutouts of this young guy and several other young men. Now this guy seemed to have the patience to sit with a pair of scissors and cut this individual out from a magazine, put that in an envelope and tape into the closet door. That's just messed up and reminds me of all the weird stuff mentally ill people do. When I showed the guys the pictures and the letter from the UK, we knew some stuff was up. Unfortunately, there was still nothing we could have done. As a result, we just waited for him to come back and try to rush him into driving us home. After a few setbacks, we finally got home. A really unsettling fact was that during the drive home, Andrew asked him for his phone and we browsed his gallery while laughing. He had an unsettling amount of videos with Marion. I don't know what to make of all of this. This guy is most definitely insane and doing some really shady stuff for money, but I honestly doubt there is anything serious to take to the police, so there's really nothing we can do about him at this moment. This happened eight years ago. My family, mom, dad, and two younger brothers, live in a very large suburban neighborhood in North Carolina with many other families. It is typically a safe neighborhood, with not much happening in it besides the rambunctious kids that run between the yards of houses, ding-dong ditching the neighbors, etc. Common suburban activity. Me, being in sixth grade at the time, was a part of this group of kids, and my brothers as well as our friends who lived in the neighborhood would usually run into the woods to play tag or head to the large field that was in the middle of the neighborhood. Our summer days were spent going in and out of each other's houses, pretending to camp out in the woods and running around the grassy field. However, I guess the neighborhood wasn't as safe as it appeared to be. One of our neighbors sent an email to other families in our development saying that a compact dark blue car was going in circles around the neighborhood, at times stopping completely or moving slowly down the street staring at houses. All the families in our neighborhood are very close and we all know each other well. Nobody knew whose car this was. The email continued saying that an older woman with blonde hair was driving the car. We were just told to be on the lookout and let anybody know if we saw any suspicious behavior. This email led to all the parents giving kids the stranger danger talk. If we saw the woman with the blue car, or if she tried to talk to us, we were to run to a neighbor's house. Though this kind of put us on edge, we weren't too worried and we continued spending every day outside playing. We never thought that we would actually see her car, but we did. It was another late summer afternoon. 
My two brothers, a couple neighborhood kids, and I were walking down the street towards the grassy field. Since the field sits on the edge of the main road, there is a line of elevated bushes, trees, and other plants to separate the two. We began playing tag as normal. We ran from one end of the field to the other, think the distance of a football field, and played with a soccer ball. We sit down in the middle of the field, tired from playing, and lie down in the grass. From where we were sitting, we could see the entrance to the neighborhood as it sat at one end of the field. On the opposite end of the field was another entrance, meaning a car could come in or out at both ends. Almost immediately following us sitting down, the dark blue car speeds in the neighborhood. Us being so young, we began panicking quickly, probably just at the sheer thought of potentially being kidnapped. The car began slowly moving towards where we were sitting and me being the oldest, I told everyone to run into the bushes and trees at the edge of the field to hide. We kind of just forgot about running to a neighbor's house. I remember this moment being so intense, the six of us just sprinting towards the bushes as the car got closer to us. We all literally jumped into the bush and immediately lied down on the ground to conceal ourselves. We were dead silent. In retrospect though, this wouldn't help us. She already knew where we were. We were all panting heavily. We could see the car from where we were sitting and the woman had stopped in front of the field. She rolled down her window and was looking almost directly at us to where we had run. She began driving again, heading towards the exit of our neighborhood. We all relaxed, knowing that she was leaving, but we were wrong. She left the neighborhood only to re-enter on the opposite side. She was circling the field, leaving us trapped in the middle. She went around the field maybe ten times, just kept doing circles staring towards us with her window rolled down. We had no idea what she was doing or planning to do, and we were all terrified. We were actually trapped in the field and none of us had cell phones at the time. Not sure how long we were there for, just waiting for her to leave. My youngest brother began crying. At this point, she called out to us from her window asking why we were hiding. One of the creepiest things I've ever heard. It sent actual shivers up my spine. We knew we had to deviate a plan to get out, or she would just continue circling us. There was about 15 seconds in between her exiting and re-entering the neighborhood, and we knew that was all the time we had to run out of there. As soon as she exited, we sprinted from the bushes and took off towards my house, which was a few houses down from the field. It hurt so much running that fast, panting, and being terrified of what could happen to us. The six of us threw ourselves up my front steps and whipped open the front door just as the woman was re-entering the neighborhood. I slammed the door shut and locked it. I'm not sure if she saw us entering the house or if she still thought we were in the bushes. I can't remember if we told her parents or not. We ended up forgetting about the woman and the dark blue car, and I still have no idea what she was doing circling us or what she was planning on doing. Nothing has really happened in the neighborhood since. This happened about six to seven years ago. My husband and I are driving back from Michigan as we went to visit my parents, and by the time we get into the remote back area of Ohio, it's dark. Being around 12 a.m. when we got to the backwoods of Ohio, and by the time we hit the small town, it was around 1 to 2 a.m. We always make sure our doors are locked because we aren't stupid. Anyway, we went to make a quick stop to use the restrooms, stretch, and get something to drink. We get back on the road, and we're going along and we slowed down to a stop for a stop sign 
and this woman walks out right in front of us and I slam on the brakes to keep from hitting her. We sit there for a minute collecting ourselves and thinking, what is she doing? She knocks on our passenger side window where my husband is sitting and I'm telling him to not roll it down. Let's just get the F out of here, but him being the kind-hearted type rolls down his window. She tells us that she's been walking for hours and that her car broke down. She can't get a hold of her daughter and that she has no money and needs $50 for a cab. He tells her to hold on and rolls up the window and I'm telling him, no, you've got to be nuts, do not let her in this truck. And he gives me this but she needs help speech. Hate me all you like but I learned the hard way to never trust people, especially strangers, and I told him I don't care if she's bleeding on the ground, she isn't getting in my truck. He guilts me into letting her in. Now, I'm driving a Ford F-150 and there's only one seat so we're all crammed and I ask her where she's going. First she says to a store, then says she needs to find a cab but she has no money, can we give her $50? I'm silently telling my husband we are not giving her money as we're driving but he relents and says yes. We drive and she's telling us all kinds of stories about her and her daughter, how she needs to get home that her daughter is 16 and is home alone and that it's about two hours away in Ohio. The more we drive, the more it changes. I ask her about her daughter, and this time she tells us that she's in her late 20s, has a few kids, and is in Kentucky. I said, but I thought she was 16, home alone and two hours away in Ohio. She says, oh, that's my younger daughter, it's my adult daughter I'm going to see. Okay. That makes no sense because she said she just came from Kentucky. We find an ATM, and thankfully, it's broken. We push on to find another, and the more she talks, the weirder she gets. She tries to cozy up to my husband and sweet-talking him, and he is oblivious to women hitting on him, so she moves on to me, and I refuse to accept it by constantly changing the subject. Then it gets stranger. She says, are you two married? And we reply yes. And she says, oh, that's good, because I would have to call Jesus down to smite you if you two were living in sin. We're both thinking... What is she talking about? She then says, You two are a very nice Christian couple. and We both let her know that we're not Christian. She gets upset by this and starts spouting the Bible at us and the hubby is retorting back at her. We finally reach another ATM and this entire time the hubby and I have been communicating through signals that we need to get this nut job out of the car. We pull up and he says, I need to get out of the car to get into the ATM and she says, just have your wife pull up and use it. He says no, no one but me uses my card. Then she says have your wife get out and he replies her door is broken, only the passenger door works. A lie of course, but whatever we needed to do to get her out. She gets out and grabs the door to pull it closed and she grabs the door and starts screaming at us to let her back in and as she's trying to get back in, he says to her, no, your story's full of holes and it doesn't add up. She pulls out this knife assuming like a switchblade, and the hubby shoves her and I peel out of the bank parking lot with the door still open. He shuts it and locks it. She chases us, screaming that she's going to kill us. I floor it, pushing the gas pedal to the floor, and we're doing like 120 and I don't let up for four miles until the hubby is screaming for us to slow down that I'm going to kill us. I do. I am shaking, partly due to anger, partly due to being freaked out. Thankfully, we made it home safely, but we will never be picking up another person again.
This happened a few years ago, probably when I was a freshman in high school. I'm not even sure if this really belongs here because I met this guy more than once and had a sort of relationship with him, but I will write it anyways. I was invited to go to this hangout place by a friend of mine at the time and I decided to go. I didn't know it was a religious thing and it was really cool until we were shoved in a dark room and preached to. We got to play games, shoot hoops, and interact with other kids, and I thought it was just supposed to be a thing for kids to do on boring Wednesday nights. I have nothing against Christianity, but I was not and am still not a Christian, so I was quite annoyed with having that information omitted when I was invited, but I still went to have fun. I didn't have much of a social life to begin with, I still don't, so it was nice to be around all these kids around my age from various schools nearby. This is where I first met them, I believe. Mark and Chris, both twin boys, absolutely identical. I seriously could not tell them apart, and that was a huge issue down the road. They wore identical clothes, had the same hairstyle, eye color, voices, mannerisms, etc. The only thing different was what came out of their mouths. Mark was a sweetheart. He loves flowers, animals, always smiling and friendly with everyone. Chris was the exact opposite. It seems stereotypical, a good twin and a bad twin, but it was true. Even though this happened quite a while ago, I still get nervous just thinking about this point in my life. Chris, for whatever reason, had his sights on me. He wanted to talk to me, wanted to sit by me, he wanted to talk to me, he wanted to sit by me, wanted to interact with me whenever he saw me. At first I liked the attention because no guy really paid any attention to me before. I wasn't exactly good looking, I looked very awkward and derpy, but was 11 to 12 years old so doesn't really count at that time, and I was a huge nerd. Teacher's pet sort of nerd. Did my work quietly, went overboard on assignments, that sort of thing. But Chris seemed to like that about me, and I liked his bad boy vibe, I guess. But then things started getting disturbing. He got angry very easily. If you so much as disagreed with him on something, he would threaten you, start saying things like he was going to hurt himself or break something, he carried around his own knife, which he used to cut himself, not because he was going to end his own life, but he liked the way the scars looked on his arms. He told me he likes to drink his own blood. He would talk about hurting people in horrible and graphic ways or torturing animals. He would gloat about murdering kittens by drowning them repeatedly or breaking their limbs and leaving them screaming in the woods. It was horrible, and I still feel very disturbed about it. It was at this point that I started getting scared. I thought he was just a bad boy that listened to falling in reverse and lamented about how life is meaningless, but just being a pretty decent guy. Boy, was I dead wrong. I felt trapped, then, because he went to my school, he knew my schedule, he knew where I lived, and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. I tried not to anger him because I was afraid that I would get hurt, or worse, someone I cared about getting hurt. I think he knew this because it was around that point that he asked for my number and I obliged. He started harassing me then, sending me explicit messages such as being in a locked room together, nude with pills to make us feel certain ways. He asked for nudes. I didn't send him any, thank you, to past me. He demanded them. I still didn't send any. I politely asked him to stop, and he would threaten me. I still have this old phone due to a completely different reason, but I believe those messages are still there. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I eventually went to my mom, which was a huge waste of time because she's a narcissist and abusive, and eventually I will probably write some stories and are raised by narcissists about her and my dad. Like I expected, 
She dismissed it and went back to playing on her computer. I was too scared to go to a teacher or even the school counselor because they are pretty much all useless, especially the counselor. So I was stuck. My friend at the time thought it was hilarious and teased me about having a bad boy boyfriend. I became more quieter, took the long way to my classes, hid in the bathroom or behind people when I saw one of them, Mark or Chris. I didn't know who was who because when you can't tell them apart, they are both potentially the bad one. I was terrified Chris would impersonate Mark and trick me. I stopped going to after school clubs. Chris got very angry. He couldn't find me. He knew I was avoiding him and he got even more upset. He would send me threatening texts. I shut my phone off. I only ever saw him at the Wednesday night meetings. The final night I went there was the scariest. I felt his mood the moment he stepped through those doors and it seemed like the atmosphere darkened when his eyes met mine. He gave me the most cynical smile that still gives me chills just remembering it, and he started towards me. I scooted closer to Mark and my friend. Chris somehow got a hold of my shoes and tossed them in the boys' bathroom. He told me to go get them. This is probably the point where I was thankful for having an abusive childhood because if I didn't learn that rabbit-like anxiety intuition, I most likely would have stepped into that single-stall room with an inside lock and gotten hurt or worse by him. Thankfully, I learned that I need to think through every single possible thing before I do something that may have huge impacts on my life. I'm a tiny female. I was the smallest in my class and I am still tiny today. On campus, I pass as a child genius until I step into the math classroom and I sometimes get free candy from the staff. Even though I am quick on my feet and can fight back pretty well, I can easily be overpowered due to my size, especially if it was by someone bigger and Chris was a quite big guy. He was taller, more muscular, and physically stronger than I could ever be. I knew he had horrible intentions. I knew he had that knife tucked into his sleeve, and I knew he would follow behind me. I knew that he wanted to do things to me, and I knew that no one would hear or notice anything because it was so noisy from all the kids playing and talking, and no one pays attention to who goes into the bathrooms. Chris went off somewhere, probably hiding and watching me from a distance. I did the only thing I could think to do. I went to his brother Mark and he saw I was shaking and on the verge of tears. I told him Chris stole my shoes and tossed them into the bathroom and asked if he could go get them for me. He understood. I never went back to the meeting place again. I saw those two a few times after that but I avoided them because I didn't know who was who. At one point Mark came up to me and tried talking to me but I tried moving away. He became upset and started pleading with me telling me that I'm the good twin. I apologized and said I didn't know for sure who he was. I've always wondered how many relationships his brother has ruined for him simply because they look alike. Chris saw me a few times and remember him yelling at me, threatening me, and eventually just disappearing. He and Mark both disappeared. I think they ended up switching schools because Chris did something really awful. I don't know, but I still felt relief. I still have anxiety and paranoia about the entire thing. I still wonder if Chris knows where I am or what I am doing, or if he plans on finding me eventually and coming after me to finish the job. The story begins almost 10 years ago now in a quietish town in the Midlands, UK. My best friend and I were out for her 19th birthday in one of the town's two clubs. This was known for being the less seedy of the two. 
My friend Marilyn had been planning this for weeks. She had her sights set on one of the promoters and it was her mission to seduce him for her birthday. I, however, had no interest in these small town folk. I was crushing on someone at my university about 30 minutes drive away, relevant later. Being a 5'3 chubby lass, I didn't really get too much attention unless someone was feeling particularly bold or drunk. Marilyn was off draping over her promoter while I hung around in the smoking area alone, and I was targeted by a bizarre-looking gentleman. He was around 6'5", built like a brick house, and had a real Cro-Magnon look about him. He was slurring his speech a little, so I thought perhaps he was drunk at first. Trying to be polite despite my discomfort with his predatory glare, I engaged in light conversation. His name was Thomas Pence, and he is a farmer from down the way there. His farmhouse is by the post office, and his land is all the fields and woodland behind the town. He's 28 years old. I tell him I'm 18. He's got a cat called Fluffins, and it's black and white. It eats mice. It leaves them on the door. The more I heard him talk, I realized he wasn't drunk, but not very well educated. Not in a judgmental way, but it was clear his speech and general knowledge were lacking. I felt less threatened by this hulk of a man that was looking at me intensely and asked him more about his cat. He was totally fixated on telling me about the cattle slaughters and how blood clots, how the cow's blood rushes out and clots into dinner plate-sized dark jelly clots. Red flag. Real bright red flag right in my face. I say I'm feeling cold and need to go back in to find my friend as it's her birthday and I shouldn't leave her alone. As I move off, he grabs me and sits me into his lap, hard. His enormous hand is wrapped right around my upper arm and I can't really move. I look over at Marilyn with panic on my face and she gives me double thumbs up and a big smile. She's thinking, hooray, she's pulled. I tell him I have to go to my friend and please let me go. He looks me dead in the eyes and says, Marilyn is happy for you. Red flag. I never once said her name to him. I haven't seen, heard of, or noticed him until he approached me outside, even though he was a giant. I tell him to let go of me or I'll scream. He squeezed my chest with his free hand and forcibly kissed me before throwing me off his lap. Yuck. I try to disappear into the crowd and circle back around to get Marilyn, who wants to know who he is, whether I got his number, is he nice? So she doesn't know him either, but he knows her name. Is he watching us? Has he been following me? I say no number, no interest, I just want to go home. Marilyn wants ten minutes to solidify her hookup with Promoter Man, so I tell her to meet me in the ladies and we'll go home from there. Figured that was a safe enough hiding place. Now, Marilyn has done me wrong before with her drunken ways. I had previously been targeted by a man that called himself Rock, and he aggressively pursued me for my number. I gave him a fake one. He found out and Marilyn gave him my real one while I was getting another drink. So when she came into the bathroom and I could see Thomas leering just outside the door, I knew what she had done. Very uncool. It was her birthday and she was so sure she's done me a favor I couldn't crush her lovely evening. I checked my phone and there was one message. Maybe your blood is sweet. XXXX. Maybe my blood is sweet. Maybe my blood is sweet? I decide with Marilyn that our best bet is to leave hastily and get in a taxi. My original plan was to walk to my mom's about a 30 minute walk away but that somehow didn't feel safe anymore. He then texts me, Where you go, fug nugget? XXXX. You gone what I do, XX. You can run. 
but I got you now. I was shook. I couldn't sleep. I felt safe enough with Marilyn, the dog, and being locked in, but I just couldn't rest. I walked the dog. Marilyn went home. I scoped out the road I lived on, and the coast was clear. So I set off to go to my uni house. I make the 30-minute drive in 16 minutes and dash into the house to tell my housemates about this nutter. He then texts me, Where are you going? You live in. And then he states the specific district of the town where my mom lives. XXX. Is Fug Nugget your real name? XXX. You should slow down. My female housemate decided it was a good idea to see if he's on Facebook. We searched Thomas Pence and filtered by town. And there he was. Giant-headed, gormless profile picked, nothing set to private. He added 74 women called Fugnug. I rang Marilyn and she said that she only gave him my first name, which is double-barreled, and he must think that's my full name. Blocked him, spoke to my tutor at uni, rang the police who said they couldn't do anything and just keep the messages. Useless. I missed a week of lectures, I stayed inside, my housemates did my shopping for me, I stayed in for all of reading week and decided that a fortnight would be long enough. The messages coming through were nondescript, sometimes just a series of XXXX or You So Beautiful, and that he had slowed down enough for me to not have anxiety when I heard a phone vibrate. I hadn't had a message for two days at this point. I put on black jogging bottoms and a black hoodie and left in the dead of night on a Sunday to get some food from the 24-hour Tesco, thinking it would ease me back into society. You look nice, tonight, XXXX, I received. You look like a robber. I'm alone, in a dark car park and freaking out. I call the store and ask them to send a security guard to me because I'm being followed. They sent both guards when they heard what a state I was in and took me inside and told me to turn my phone off. I stayed there for four hours and they monitored the CCTV for this blonde-haired giant, but nothing We turned my phone back on to 72 missed calls and 29 text messages, the more interesting of which were, I love you come see me XXXX, where you hide in XXX, corn out now or else, I wait for two weeks for you XXX, you done loved you. That was enough to go to the police with and I made a report the following day. They couldn't find him and he wasn't at home. He actually didn't show up at his home for another three days. When he did, he had a new phone and tried to say he had a twin brother, which they knew wasn't true. They called the number that was harassing me and it rang in the drawer. He called me in the moment the police left him to threaten me for breaking his heart, although their visit seemed to have dissuaded him. I moved away one month later and I'm just glad he doesn't have my full name, so he can't find me. Some background to set this up should help. It was about 10 or 11 years ago shortly after my father had passed and my mother had remarried. My dad was not a great person and my mother fell into another abusive and controlling marriage after meeting my dirtbag of a stepfather. One of my older sisters, whom I've confirmed this with, had moved back home after getting pregnant and leaving college. This all happened in a relatively short period of time, three to four years. At the time, the game RuneScape was extremely popular, at least with my parents, and they had started talking to people from all over. Herein lies their mistake. My stepfather apparently made friends with this guy named Tony from Britain, and they had started talking via email. 
I don't know 100% of the details, but my mother talked to him as well, and he had mentioned that he would love to travel to the U.S. My stepfather is a complete idiot, and had arranged for this guy to stay at her house for a week with my mother, agreeing since she essentially did whatever he said. So after a few months, they picked him up at the airport and brought him to our house. This guy was strange. He flew all the way to Massachusetts and never left our house. He hung out in the spare bedroom most of the time he was there, and from what I remember, he and my parents didn't really go do anything that a tourist might want to see or do, and they may have gone into Boston one day. He also had a very strange attraction to my sister Kay, the one who had just come back. He kept making comments about how pretty she was and was just generally very awkward around her, to the extent it made most of us uncomfortable. I have three other brothers and three other sisters, so at the time six of us kids were living at home. Overall, the experience of having this guy visit just seemed really weird, but he eventually went home and nothing really came of it. That is, until we tried to come visit again. Now, I'm not entirely sure how the visa process works. I personally have a work visa to go work in Kuwait, but I have never tried to get a travel visa to the US. I live here. What I do know is that if you have a work visa, you have to have a job. That is where Tony messed up, and thankfully he did. I assume he couldn't get another travel visa, so he got a work visa to come visit a second time a few months later. However, he didn't have a job lined up in the US, so when he flew in, he got stopped in customs. Upon questioning him, custom agents got suspicious and started going through his stuff, and that's when he found his diary. In it were detailed plans about how he'd hurt my family and abduct my sister Kay so they could live together and be married. He explained that she would be forced to love him, and he deserved her to love him. During the time he spent at our house, he had details about our patterns and schedules. He scoped out the house and apparently had everything down to the last detail fleshed out. I know all of this because the FBI came and talked to us about him while he was detained in the US. The terrifying part is that this guy was one lazy custom agent away from trying to execute his plan and causing a lot of horror. Thankfully, the agent was doing their job properly and they found out Tony's intentions. Hey friends, thanks for listening. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, our Let's Read Official, and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear it featured here on the channel. And grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt.com. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends, and I'll see you again soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.